<laughs> American ingenuity at its best. Wow. What do you do? You heat it up in a microwave? You, you, uh, I don't recommend that. I think that could, uh, that could wow. damage your penis. You know what? They Did you see they, they call it like the jerk-off cups? They have like cups in Japan. And you and you, <laughs> I swear to God, and it has a little like cellular thing on it, you know, so to keep it moist. And there's a little hole in it, and it's actually you can use it and then throw away. My buddy, <laughs> yeah, we went up to the wow. room. My buddy goes right away. He says, "Man, they're reusable." I say, <laughs> you know, "That's that's that was not right." The best was that my other friend he forgot it in a little uh, paper bag. And there were some porn magazines in the bag also. So when we left up, there was at the Tokyo and Hilton, the Hilton Hotel. We walked up and this little girl goes like, sir, you forgot your... And she, she looks in there and she, she looks at my buddy. She's like in shock and he goes, yeah, I know. You know? So she knows exactly what it is. Exactly what it's it is. It's very common in Japan. The there are a bunch of freaks thing. over there, right? And they're only this small. Wow. Yeah. So the whole what cup. Happened? The whole cup. So whole your cup. penis can only go in. It's for small penises. I guess you have to make a hole in the other side. Yeah. Well, how does that work? <laughs> yeah. It's not designed for American or Dutch cocks, right? <laughs> yeah. For those uh, who don't know who we're talking to, this is a, a a true mixed martial arts legend, a real pioneer. Uh, Boss Rutten was a former UFC heavyweight champion, and when I first saw Boss fight. I saw you fight back before uh, there was any real good striking in mixed martial arts. Mixed martial arts was uh, a lot of it was, you know, karate guys that weren't that good. You know, there was a few people that were just wild and crazy that were getting in there and trying it. And uh, there was Pancrase was going on over in Japan. And a buddy of mine had sent me a tape and they had said, uh, I forget who gave me the tape, but he goes, you got to watch this motherfucker, Boss Rutten. Like, there's it's finally a guy who's over there that knows how to strike. And you were blasting guys like in pancreas it was a lot of like they had these these shin shin pads on for folks who haven't seen it and you weren't allowed to punch to the face but you could use open palms so what boss figured out how to do was pull his hand way back so he was punching with his palm where everybody else was doing bitch slaps boss was blasting guys with straight right palms and knocking them unconscious and body kicks that they just couldn't believe how much pain they were in yeah. you were, you were one of the first guys yeah, from Holland that that you know that hard dutch style of kickboxing to enter into mixed martial arts I, I, I worked, I, I used that already palm strikes when I was a bouncer because ah. I didn't like to mess up my fist. So and I always thought you have a way longer reach. Like, for instance, a left hook, right straight, you know, that combination. It's great, but if you, if you connect with the left hook, you're too close for the straight punch. You see, and the longer the punch is, the more power it has. So I said, why don't I hit with a palm? You know, because then it becomes almost as long as my straight punch, so the straight will have more effect. You know, and then people started thinking, I said, and if you hit behind the ear, if you can see when I'm fighting, I'm hitting right here, just behind the ear at the jaw, where the jaw starts. And if you tap it there, yeah, you'll drop. Well, you're one of those guys, too. You, you analyze different ways to attack opponents, and that's why you've got all these videos online of self-defense <laughs> techniques and bars. If you haven't seen these videos, have you seen them, The right? music video ones, the one I love fucking fantastic. The most. <laughs> no, sorry, I'm not sorry. Bang, bang, bang. <laughs> oh, looky, look what we got here. Well, how did that get started? How did you start doing those? It was the funniest thing. I, I made the big, Boss Rudin's big books of combat. Yeah, I have and, that. And, and then um, the I promised that the first 300 people were going to get a self-defense a book, a small one, a small book, like 50 pages book or something. But then this guy screwed me over with the books. And when that all happened, you know, I left this guy, but I came back to him. I said, listen, 
I told the people that the first 300 were going to get it, and I want to keep my word. But I don't want to do anything with this guy anymore because, you know, he took too much from me already. So right. anyway, we said, why don't I make an, uh, a video? We do an instructional DVD, and then we give that to the first 300 people. Oh, that's great. And she said, what do you want to do? I said, well, get the camera. It was like totally non-scripted, you know, <laughs> when we started at the bar. How funny was that, you know, that I go around the bar and I, I see a little... Uh, what do you call it, a saucer or something. I said, okay, well, this you can throw at him to distract, you can break it, now he's got sharp edges, you can slice him, you know, and then when I go to that thing that holds the receipt, you know, that pin, I grab it and I look at the thing and I go, I don't need to tell you what you can do with this. <laughs> it was the funniest. We had to stop so many times that we were dying laughing. And that's all one take, no preparation. Nothing. Well, see, you don't have to worry about things. You think like that all the time. Yeah. And being a bouncer, that is one, one I've, I've never been a bouncer, but I did, well, I actually did work as a bouncer at a concert uh, place at Great Woods. It was a concert center and there was a lot of fights. It's cons you're constantly dealing with fights, yeah. but that's different than a bar because a bar is more dangerous. It's more contained. The concert place is big and wide open. It was an outdoor venue. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're at a, a bar, you must have seen a lot of shit, especially in Holland. Holland's a fucking crazy place. It is. It is a crazy place. You have to watch out. And you know, I wasn't in that era that they really started to come with the weapons. I was always fortunate, you know, to uh, w w the big guys would come in and they would actually give their guns to us. You know, we put them to the side. And uh, when Guys something would come in with their guns, oh yeah, and uh, we'll be put, we stored them for them before they went in. And Holy then, uh, shit! Yeah, it was crazy. You know, I had one guy. It was a, it was high up. That was actually cool because I worked there only for like two weeks. It was a big place, the Galaxy in Sertogen Bos, and a very known place. It was a big place. I had some epic fights there, man. Really cool. And uh, this guy walks in anyway something broke out and right away the big guy the the guy was on the top of the ladder he grabbed me from the front and he bear hugged me and he says we're just going to stand like this and i said whoa he says i i just want to take the the worst one the most dangerous one i just want to hold you like this so that was kind of a compliment because all the other bouncers heard it and they go like who's this guy you know and then the world starts to travel you know how it goes so uh, Holland, the fights that happen in Holland in uh, bars, it seems to happen a lot with MMA guys. I know you've been in a bunch of them. Alistair Overeem fucked up his hand. Badr Hari got in a big one. You know, it's just constantly. Uh, kickboxers and MMA guys are always getting in bar fights in it's Holland. It's the bouncers. The bouncers really think that they can do something. And I don't know why. Maybe it is because they got more of them and they think, you know. So they give you shit. They want to they test give you themselves because they, they know who you are. You. It's all yeah. Do you find you like? Do you find that because of you have such a reputation? Do you find that like guys get drunk and then they want to test themselves with you? Does that happen? I I had that till that whole bar fight in Sweden happened, and after that, for some reason, I never had it anymore. And what was the bar fight in Sweden? Because that was uh, very famous. Like that was yeah, all over was the a... internet. What what happened with that? Well, I walked in. And what year was this? Oh God, I don't know. It was like. 96 or 7. So you weren't like the UFC champion then. When, when, no, when no, no, did no. you win the UFC? Was it 99? 99, I think, yeah. So, but they, you know, they recognize about you from kickboxing and from MMA. You were already famous in the MMA world and the, you know, the. the oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was there for a seminar. People knew me, you know, and the, and the bouncers right away when I came in, they say, hey, Rutan, stay calm tonight. And there was a little alarm bell going off in my mind. You know, maybe I shouldn't go in. But I go, ah, I was drunk already. <laughs> Why not, right? So I go in with my buddy, crazy friend from Holland, not a house. And um, 
and, and sure enough, they started, um, they, they suddenly asked me, because I'm jumping around and having fun, you know, hey, what's up, hey, what's up, everybody, you know, I mean, man, I tried to make friends with everybody, tried to speak Swedish, you know, and um, they, they say, can you come with us? So we go to these two doors, through these two doors, and there's a big fire stairs, like a marble stairs, giant, and he says, well, we want you to leave. I said, why? I said, well, you're, you're too much energy, you're flopping around, it's not good, you, you're uh, bothering the customers. <clears throat> I said, sure, okay, um, but can you tell my friend, my buddy's over here, he's also from Holland, can you tell him that I'm gone, because otherwise, you know, he, uh, he can't find me. So this, they didn't expect that. They, they thought I was going to do something, of course, so he pushes me. And I said, now why would you push me? I said, I want to go, it's okay, you know, I don't want any trouble. And he started putting his finger on my chest, which is something I really can't stand, right? So I said, okay, don't touch me, because if... You know, if you do that again, it's going to go wrong. And sure enough, they were looking for a fight, of course. He did it again, so I pushed him. And another guy behind him jumped over him, and he stabbed the finger in my eye. I said, guys, uh, come on, let's stop this right now. I don't want to boop my other eye. And there I went, boom. And that guy went down. He went down like one point. So I've never seen anything. I heard him over the music. Oh, I heard that. <laughs> yeah, that was the wildest thing ever. And then they had these little microphones, right? So with, yeah, I don't know, but fast. It was like, it was five guys, four or five guys. And they start fighting. And the guy that I knocked out constantly, because he would wake up, right? And everything went good and went good. And But then I start realizing, wait a minute, this these guys are going to come back up all the time, you know? This is going to come to an end. I got to get the hell out of here. So, so you're knocking them down. So you're hitting them, they're falling down. Everyone that's coming at you, you're knocking down, but you're realizing you got to get out of here. I had to get out of there. And there's one part until this day, I have no clue what this was. I'm, I'm, I'm falling against the wall and there's a hole in the wall, you know, with a little um, like bar in front of it. And there's broomsticks, broomsticks, but no brooms on broomsticks. Just so I'm grabbing one. But right away when I grab one, I think to myself, I say, if I grab one, they're going to grab one. So I leave it, and I go, <laughs> but they, they passed it, and they all took a freaking broomstick. Oh, no. And I go, oh, you know. So I'm, man, it and was you're fighting five so guys wild. with broomsticks. It was wild. And then um, I, I had to get, get the hell out of there, so I went all the way down. And I remember till this day, it was a door that, you know, one of these copper things that you have to push in, and then you open up, so I click, and it's closed. And I'm going, Okay. Yeah, now what? You know, so I turned around and I thought, okay, now I'm going to go only for the eyes. I'm going to hit him in the throat. I'm going to kick him in the balls. That's the only thing I'm going to go for now. And they looked at me and they all stepped back. So I go, whoa, they can see I'm in business, right? But behind me is the whole police force <laughs> outside because there were windows. So they, uh, they throw me in jail and, uh, because apparently one of those bouncers was a cop. And yeah, and I knocked him out, of course, also, but he never told me that he was a cop, otherwise I wouldn't have done that. Anyway, we're there, and this is also, this is actually a funny story, because before this all happened, I'm talking to my wife, and I'm already tanked, right? And she says, why are you laughing? Why are you have so much fun? I said, honey, I'm drunk. I'm having a lot of fun. She says, no, you're there with two Swedish blonde girls, huh? I said, honey, don't worry about it. You know me. If I'm drunk, you know, I don't care about anything, especially not that. I just want to have fun. So after two days, they allowed me to give my first phone call. And um, I'm calling my wife and she's freaking out. I said, honey, you got to be, okay, relax, relax. I say, I got some good and some bad news. What do you want to hear first? She says, uh, the good news. I say, I didn't fuck two Swedish girls. 
He says the bad news that I'm in jail. You think this is fun? She's gonna hate me for this story because every time she says, "You should tell us," you know, it's not funny. I think that's a hell of a story. I love that. <laughs> right? You, got, you can't write like a it. Movie. <laughs> no, yeah, that's, true story. That's an outstanding story. So, how did did you get out of the country? What happened? You know what? Um, I asked them if they pressed charges, and they said no. So I said, okay, I'm not going to press charges either. But apparently they did press charges. And then I had to go to court. So I get this lawyer. No, and, and also, you know, they, they drive me from the normal police station to jail, right? This is like a movie, Joe. You, you drive into a mountain and the road stops in the middle of a mountain. And you get out, it's an elevator, or like two elevators, I don't know, but I go in the elevator, I go like four stories up, I go out, take another elevator, go like two down, go out, take another elevator, go like six up, I go, oh my God, where am I, you know? It was some weird jail with, I was sitting there with like murderers and rapists, it was the wildest thing ever, but all the, all the, all the guards knew me, so I had a VCR, I had coffee, <laughs> cookies. I was playing cards with the guards. They actually gave me my phone. They said, all right, cool. You know? <laughs> yeah, it was nice. So then the lawyer comes. The lawyer goes, I say, okay, so when can I go? You know? And he said, um, well, you're probably going to get like six to nine months. I said, well, <laughs> back up now. I said, what? He says, yeah, one of them was a cop. I said, you're kidding. I said, but they started. He said, well, they're five against one, you know? He can't say anything. So anyway, it went to court. And then um, um, my friends, some friends in Sweden, they started, they talked. Apparently, they talked to those guys. And I said, man, come on, take your charges back. And that's what they did. And then they oh, let me go. Wow. Yeah. So you got lucky. Can you imagine six months? Ooh. Yeah, that was weird, man. That was like a movie, like that movie with the guy from Highlander. Remember, he, he made a movie one time in a jail somewhere really weird. Remember that? <laughs> the jail was in a mountain? That's crazy. It was in a freaking mountain. That's crazy. And then was the when when you had to <laughs> they let you out, you know, to go uh, your your one hour a day. It was like a circle and it was divided like like a pie, like it ate. And uh, but with a fence, like a UC fence, like that in eight. So you would you have a, a piece of pie, let's say, you know, that space to yourself from here to you to the wall there. Wow. And then there's the, another they're guy right, right like next to you that right has a piece and you're not interacting with them. You're not in the same jail as them. You're not in the same cage as them. No, not in the same cage. Everybody wow. has their own room. Yeah. How weird. That was wild. Yeah, scary stuff. Because it's funny now, but at that moment it's really not Sweden, funny. Sweden, this is where it happened in Sweden. In Sweden, yeah. This is the the place where all this shit is going down with WikiLeaks, where they're trying to put that guy in jail for for rape because he had sex with a girl and the condom broke and he didn't tell her. Sweden is a is a strange place, and they take like violence and crime very very seriously over there. They had uh, it is the suicide rate is the highest in the world. Uh, really? Yeah. Japan is two, but Sweden is one. I wow. Wow. Why is that? Why Sweden? That chicks are so hot. Yeah. That seems like that would cut back a lot. You know what? Actually, <laughs> yeah, Brazil. Right? Who's killing themselves in Brazil? The girls are so hot. We, we uh, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like we the the flight over. That was a funny story too because I would call my crazy uh, friend from Holland, right? So we uh, we we get tanked on the plane and 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 he says I got to go to the restroom and I said well go you know but he he sits here the the aisle is next to me and he sits on the other side he said well the, but they just turned the light on because we're landing I said what are you gonna do they're gonna stop the plane I said go take a leak man so he goes up and he's like walking up you know because we're going down he goes to the restroom and people complaining complaining you know and finally he comes back. And he wants to get in. This is before 911, okay? He wants to get in. I say, no, you can't go in. And I, I looked at the front and I see the 
the pilot there. This is a true story, Joe, I swear this. And the pilot, and the door is open. I say, I want you, I let you in if you go to the front and touch the pilot's head. And he says, okay. Oh, so no. he's still walking down here like this. Oh, no. And he put his hand on, yeah, on his head. And people are like, oh, you can't do this, but not, not as bad. So and for some reason... They let us into the country. <laughs> you know? Wow. Yeah. That was the one. Can you imagine that happens now? No. What are you going to yeah. do? They're going to shoot you. you. you, if, you, shut you. Your, if you won't shut your cell phone off, they'll put you in jail. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they'll we'll pull, turn the plane right around and you go to jail now. Wow. So this is, you say, 96, 97? Yeah, like that? around that time, I think. I remember when you could get on a plane with just, you didn't even have, you have to have a driver's license. That's right. all you had to have. You, don't, you know what? You didn't even have to have a driver's license. I remember when you can get on Credit a plane cards. with nothing. Yeah. You just go on with a, with a, with a ticket. Wow. That's what I meant. When I, was, when I used to compete, when I was doing Taekwondo tournaments, we would fly. Oh, I had a, I had a ticket. Wow. I didn't have a driver's license. They told 15. me to Canada for a long time. You could go with your driver's license too, right? To Canada, yeah. yeah. To Canada and to Mexico. But then the United States started being douchebags about it. And, you know, they cut back on, you know, Mexicans and Canadians coming over here. And so they made it more difficult. And so Canada and Mexico made it more difficult too. But, yeah, when I first used to go to Montreal, when I used to do the comedy festival up there, I didn't have a passport. You got trouble at the border there all the time? No, in never. Canada? Never. For some reason, they always get me out. I have no clue why that is. Me too. I have well, no clue. Well, it's your record. They find your record. I mean, you're, if you have a, um, a assault, like like what happened I in Sweden? But what happened in Sweden? No, that was not because they went to court and they threw it out. It doesn't matter. The fact that you got arrested and you went to court and all that and you were in a jail for a little bit, even if there's no charges that, that, that stick, yeah. they still have that on your record. Like no. Eddie Bravo got arrested once. For legally having a gun. He got pulled over for a traffic violation. This is when he was working for a check cashing company and he used to carry around a big bag of cash with him and he had to carry a gun with him. And it was totally legal. But he had done something like not stopping on a stop sign or something like that. So they pull him over and he said, I just want to let you know I have a gun, a loaded gun in the car because I do this. They arrested him. They released him because, you know, it was all correct. They check his paperwork. It's all good. It doesn't matter. Every time he goes to Canada, every single time, he gets pulled aside, and they check his shit, and they ask him questions, and it takes like an extra hour and a half. I got stuck with him the last time I went to it's Canada. It's annoying. It's really annoying. Yeah. And he, yeah. Had no, he had no record. I mean, he did nothing, you know, and never, it never stuck as a record, but just the fact that he was even arrested. Yeah. Yeah, I had this big roided guy one time standing there all messed up, and he goes, get any roids in the bag? <laughs> I swear to God, uh, I look at him and I say, Royce is perfect, perfect, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you said? Yeah, straight in the eye. Oh, yeah. that's funny. What oh, that was say? good. What yeah, and I, I did that same line, or nothing. I, uh, <laughs> I did that same line twice, also in America. Really? Same thing, I came back from Japan. Same, could be the same guy. <laughs> same thing, he said, you got any Royce? I mean... Why do they ask me? Did they ever ask you? They always ask me. Roids? They always ask me. Brian's on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but you, yeah, you know. But, but come on. He's on roids just shirt. to be a man. <laughs> if he wasn't on roids, he'd be a girl. <laughs> Who asked that? Yeah, that's a, got that's, any roids in the bag? The funny thing is, you could say that roids are for faggots, and he won't say anything because no guy on roids ever wants to admit they're on roids. <laughs> yeah, even that, the biggest why. fucking most gigantic, ridiculous human beings ever. They're like, oh, I'm just doing a lot of creatine. I do powerlifting. I eat yeah. six meals a day. Yeah. Uh, how much pork? What was that? The guy took that Sor uh, Soromsky's? No, 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 not Soromsky's. The strongest man, Puchinowski. Puchinowski. They were saying that he ate t like candy and bacon. Yeah, but twelve pound of bacon or yeah, something, something like a day something. Yeah. He turned purple. 
Yeah. Did you see that guy? Yeah, when he fought Tim Sullivan. Oh, yeah. yeah. He got purple, yeah. like the weirdest color. Yeah, yeah, it's not good. It's <laughs> Bacon. Yeah, his body's, your body's not supposed to look like that. It's no. not supposed to. That is not a fighter's build. You know, when you see these guys, like there's guys in the UFC a lot of times in their first couple fights, you'll see them and they come in they're just too big and it, yeah. it looks good and it might be good for the first 30 or 40 seconds, you know? That's you, it. You can, you can really gorilla fuck a guy for 30 or 40 seconds. But then that lactic acid builds up. Boom. Yeah. boom Crashing. Yeah. yeah. I always said it. I, 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 I never cared about it. I never cared if somebody said, oh, he's on roids. I said, you know, I, to me, it, it is that you're insecure already. You know, right. there's something wrong with you because you're not happy with yourself. Let's go to that. And that bullshit thing that they say, you know, it, yeah, but everybody does it. I mean, it's insane. I did this... Um, uh, for the amateurs, they, you know, they the, the camo. I'm on the board of the camo. Right. And they asked me to go and Camo talk is to the, them. for people who don't know, the California uh, Amateur Mixed Martial Arts Organization. Yep. And they asked me uh, to speak to the guys, you know, to help them out in the future once they're <clears throat> pro, what to watch out for. And then the last, the most important thing. What is the most important thing they said? I said, well, don't do roids. I mean, if you, if you already did roids or are thinking about doing roids... I mean, you might as well stop your career because in this particular stage, right now, if you're already thinking about it, you're going to fail. You're going to be a loser because you you want rights. I never got that. And how dangerous is it? You know what I hear? The EPO, you know, people doing that. I go, man, doesn't that make your blood really thick? Mm, right? It's very dangerous and very common, by the way. Yeah. Um, guy, boxer's been caught with it. Sugar Shane Mosley got caught with it. You know, EPO is uh, what they always accuse cyclists of using. And I have yeah, a yeah. friend who was a professional cyclist and he was on it. And he said that when he was on a tour, they were on a, a tour with a, they would ride on a bus and then they would, you know, they compete in these tournaments and these uh, races rather. And you would hear guys in the middle of the night, unrack their bikes and go ride. They had to. Yeah, because the heart rate goes too down or something. Well, eh? it's you, too much blood, too much blood builds up in your body because what, what EPO simulates is it's like artificial altitude, you know, like the same yep. effect that happens at altitude where your blood thickens because you need more oxygen because it's a low oxygen environment. So these guys, and they take this EPO, they have to exercise. Wow. Like they'll wake up at like three o'clock in the morning and they're like, their parts all fucked up and they got to get on the bike and go. Yeah. Otherwise you can have a heart attack or something. Yeah. I heard yeah. You could have strokes. You can, it's Whoa. very dangerous. I know mixed martial arts guys that have done it. And I know guys that have done it that, you know, their trainer found out like after the fight and they were like, what the fuck, man? You, you got to let us know that you're doing this. So that if you get knocked out, we can tell the doctor, Hey, here's something you yeah. should consider. This Use guy's it. on fucking EPO. <laughs> You know, use a pen as a syringe. You know, you need a valve like this because it's so thick. Yeah, you know? it's, it's coming out like lava. <laughs> it doesn't get out. I was yeah. talking to a Joe McCarthy, and I, I said, "You know what the new? Oh no, no." He asked me. He says, "You know what the newest uh, drug is? Like a uh, uh, for, uh, for fighting?" I said, "Tell." I said, um, "Viagra," and he goes, "How do you know that?" I say, "I read an article about it like a week before that, and apparently guys are doing that, taking Viagra, and apparently wow. Viagra is one of these wonder." Things it's really good for your kidneys, for blood pressure. For I mean, I read an article in um, yeah, that's why I take in it. some <laughs> fitness, ma <laughs> some fitness magazine, and it was like raving about it. It's a real good medicine, apparently. But can you imagine? Well, what it does is it increases your nitric oxide and all those those supplements that people take. You know, nitric burn, all these different nitric flood, all these different things. 
does the exact same thing. Increases your nitric oxide. That's yep. why your dick gets hard so quick. Your muscles fucking flare and up. And veins get back big. Yeah. Stop yeah. pumping. Mm, definitely. <laughs> yeah, until it goes to the ground, then it'll be uncomfortable. That's what I'm saying. You know, <laughs> what are you doing? As long as you keep your cup in place. <laughs> a little tickle tickle. <laughs> Depends on if you have a dick that could fit into one of those Japanese man- masturbation cups. <laughs> people might not even ever know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. You're one of the guys that you're one of the few guys that has gone through a mixed martial arts career and has successfully brought uh, transitioned to a broadcasting career. I mean, you you made you you're very smart in how you handled it because first of all, you didn't take too many fights. You didn't uh, go with your ego and have fights after you weren't you were busy with other things or weren't fully concentrated on it. You stepped away in full health. Yep. You know how did you manage to do that? Mm, uh, not full health. Not full health. My knees were very bothering me, and uh, one of the worst things that I have is tendonitis in both of my arms. Yeah. And if that hits, if that starts, then it's you. Did I you don't, take fish did oil you, at all? Did you? Yeah. Helps. Did you ever? Uh, you have ever had tendonitis? Yes. Yeah, I have. Yeah. Okay. Now I have it both here in the arms upstairs, and if it hits, it's about a five forty-five minute hour. A pain which is unimaginable. It's really? like, yeah, you have no clue. It's like coming from the outside. It's like he, it's, you can't describe it. There's no pain like it. And there's nothing you can do. You can't take pain pills for it. Nothing. Wow. And if the writer, I would lose weight. You know, so when I made that comeback in 2006, six weeks before it hit it, you know, I had nine weeks to prepare. I think two times, three times, five days I took off. That I literally only worked my legs and because I had the tendonitis. And then, because you lose weight from the pain. And then I start realizing, okay, this is the reason that I stopped. Because it's not fun anymore. You know, you're on the ground, everything hurts. I was, I was rolling with, uh, in Eddie's class. And uh, with uh, Goliath. You remember the big guy there? And, and I was going <clears> to <throat> fight Leopoldo. And, um, Kimo Leopoldo? Kimo Leopoldo. <clears throat> And uh, he, he, he very much looks like him, like, built. Right. So, man, can I roll with you? Because I need to just get up and just strike. Get up right. and strike. And I had the tendonitis. And, I, man, everything was hurting. And I could see everybody look like, oh, is this boss Wooden? You know? So I go, okay, man, please give me a number, you know? So I got his number five days later. I said, and I took five days off. So I come back again. And he was like, whoa, what's going on now? Because it's a whole different ball game. But so that means that every, every time when you train with that, it, man, it... It's so much pain that, yeah, you lose weight. You can't eat. You know, you get tears in your <clears> eyes from the pain. It's wow. Bizarre. And so what exactly is tendonitis? What is it, what is it from? I have no clue. And I, you know what? I, I realized that because in the early days when I did track and field, I already had it there. I think that it comes from all the cortisones that I took. I was a very sick kid. Uh, bad asthma, bad eczema everywhere. And they gave me a lot of cortisones. You know, they always were afraid oh. something was going to happen in the end. And that, and that has an effect I hear on your skeleton. You know, it melts, they say. But I guess if it's... It could have an effect on, on your tendons, right? Wow, that's yeah. crazy. So you were you were a sick kid and you transitioned somehow into a martial arts champion. Wow, right? Did you start training really hard because of your sickness, because of your asthma? Is that one of the reasons? Yeah, I... I, I got bullied a lot. I, I, I was a very lonely kid. I was, I was in the trees. I, I had a really cool skill. I could climb in a tree in the forest and I could like 45% of the forest, I go, go from treetop to treetop. I would start Whoa. swinging, swinging, yeah. 
What? And go to the next one, yeah. So if they would follow me, if they would You're come after me, Tarzan. I'm freaking, yeah. Holy shit. And I climbed shit. in a tree. And so they would go after you and you would jump from tree to tree like a monkey. To yep. Get away from them. That's what I did. And and a few of them fell. You know, one was almost, he almost didn't make it. You know, I mean, his head fell like next to a rock. Whoa. But that scared everybody so much that that was my harbor. That was my safe harbor. You know, every time something happens, I just climbed a tree. And it was it. But I think that that's where I got my athleticism from. Just wow. climbing, climbing all the time. Yeah. Wow. That's fucking crazy. It's amazing how many mixed martial artists were bullied. You know, I mean, people look at a guy like you and they would go, well, there's no fucking way this guy was ever bullied. Yeah. It's, a, it's amazing how much of that happens. And what the fuck? I mean, how do you stop that shit from happening in school? I know you're involved in a lot of anti-bullying programs and I've seen you do, you know, public service announcements and stuff like that. How, the, how do you stop that in school? You can't. You, um, you know, and it's, it, it, it's hard. You have to make sure that the... That the whole school knows. Like I, I would do. How do you say that? And um, I would tell there, if I if I would speak in front of those people that the bullies that they're we gotta have sympathy for those guys. I mean, because obviously something's wrong with them. They only can team up, you know, to get somebody, and they pick the weakest guy. I mean, seriously, if you guys think this is cool. That's the biggest loser of the whole school. It's and a I think weird that human nature thing. Though, it really that? is. It's like you probably got beat at home, you know. Yeah. And, and if you start talking like that, hopefully it rings a bell with the bully because otherwise you can't stop this. You know, uh, you hear every now and then about guys who are fighters, who are bullies, you know, who uh, you hear about bullying in the gym. <clears throat> guys who are really good fucking other guys up, like young guys. Like you hear that a lot about Hector Lombard. You know, I don't know if it's true, but you hear a lot of stories about him beating the shit out of young guys and hurting people. Yeah. You know, and you know that that has to be something from their childhood. It just has to. Something happened there. Yeah. Yeah, it's scary stuff. But you, you would think that a guy who's a trained fighter, though, you would think, well, that's I, like that would be my solution. Like, how do you get bullying out of the schools? I really think you should teach kids how to fight. I don't think they should have to fight, but I think, you know, offer it in physical education. Offer it. Because for a man, it's one of the most important things you could ever learn for developing your character, for being just being more confident and getting out aggression so you can think things more clearly. I we we had KTLA this morning at a gym. It was uh, I was Frank. Shepard your gym, by the way, for people who don't know, you have a great gym in yep. Thousand Oaks. And how do people get there? What is where's the what's the name of it? It's uh, Boss Rutten's Elite MMA. It's on eighty eighty Hampshire Road in Thousand, in Thousand Oaks. Oaks. There's a rare yeah. opportunity if you live in this area to train with you know a true legend and a pioneer. And I'm every day there. I'm tra I'm yeah. teaching every day. So it's not like my name is on the gym and I'm not there. I, I don't like this. You know, and so uh, KTLA was at your gym. KTLA was at the gym. Frank Shamrock was at the gym. My friend Holt McKelleny, the guy from Lights Out, the new TV show on FX, great show. And it's uh, a boxing show. Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. He's an ex heavyweight champion, you know, and now he's uh, got to cope with uh, all the problems. You know, the money is gone, and he's got a little bit Sopranos meets Rocky meets, you know, like series like that. And um, and yeah, all of us were bullied. Also, Frank also was a little fat kid. He said. And then he also, because he went to boarding school in, in, in Scotland, his father sent him over there. He was the only American there, so that went wrong. And with me also, it's, uh, yeah, because of the eczema and of my um, uh, asthma. You, know, you had asthma him. and eczema. Yeah, they how went they, hand in hand together. How do they together. cure that? How do they fix that? I grew over it. And you know what the weirdest thing is? When I, I, when I stepped into the States, when I was fighting in Pancras, if you see some fights, you know, you'll see I still have everywhere, have spots. You know, and when I came into America, I think within a month, everything, I mean, I, you saw almost disappearing 
like was gone. I think wow. also the climate maybe has something to do with California the, climate. Yeah, I love it. Man. This is actually yeah. it's not too hot, not too dry. You know, it's it's uh, it's perfect. It's a pretty good place. To yeah, live. yeah. We just said it, right? What a yeah, we'd say we're, yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. When you hear about people in Minnesota freezing their dicks off. <laughs> like I said, I came into the states. I say, why doesn't everybody in America live here? <laughs> why would you it live? Seems like they there? do though. Yeah. There's no houses. Yeah. There's a lot of people <laughs> living there, man. Yeah. There's a lot of people. So, um, so you didn't exactly transition out without any pain. That so that was one of the reasons why you uh, you cut your your fighting career short. Yeah, with tendonitis. Yep, yep. That and my knees. I have no cartilage on my kneecaps. Really? Which sounds as a very <clears throat> easy thing to fix, but in reality, it's the worst problem a knee can have. I mean, cartilage in between the knees when it bounce, they can do something about that, you know. But cartilage on the kneecap. They can't. My friend has his knees resurfaced. He had them resurfaced with steel. They put some sort of a steel or titanium plate over the knee. My friend Steve was on the U.S. ski team mm -hmm. back in the 80s, and he fucked his knees up really, really bad. Like, he's had, I believe, 16 or 17 surgeries on his knees, and they're mangled. <clears throat> and they just uh, recently put uh, artificial meniscus in place, this, like, white padded stuff in between the knees. And but his, his cartilage is so chewed up that they actually re resurfaced it with metal. So he has like it like it's a crazy looking thing, man. It's like metal like on top of kneecap. I have it here somewhere in my email. I'll find it for you before we leave tonight, so you can check it out. But so there there is a solution that my friend Steve. You know, has. it's uh, it's hard. They can, for instance, they can put the a kneecap is in constant motion. You know, so it's uh -huh. not like you can put something on there and then because it gets ripped off right away again. What they can do is like drill a hole in there and then um, and put a Teflon plate in it. But then the Teflon, if you drill the hole, the knee becomes 35% more weak. So you have way more chance to break the knee. And once you break your kneecap, you know, that's why, that's what my doctor said, that's why they, the mafiosos, they break your kneecaps. Because that's like the worst thing to do to somebody. Yeah, the knees are brutal, man. I've had, yeah. I've had three knee operations. <clears throat> I had uh, my, uh, my left ACL reconstructed, my meniscus scoped on my left, my left knee. Here, I got a picture of it here if you want to check it out. Check this out real quick. Can you see that? This is uh, resurfacing. This is where they took uh, his cartilage was so fucked up. Whoa. They took it off and they resurfaced it with steel. And this white stuff in this picture, this is the uh, artificial meniscus. I'll put this picture on Twitter wow. later on so That's everybody else can cool see it. Picture. It's pretty fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah. Man, really the stuff that they can do nowadays is bizarre. Yeah, it's pretty fucking crazy. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I mean, this is really new stuff that they're doing. But I mean, his knee looks like it looks like. But how does he feel? He feels great. He's you see, fucking maybe crazy. I should talk he's to him the wildest motherfucker I've ever met. He was a, a flight surgeon. He's in his fifties and he's still trying to fight. He's crazy. It's out of his mind. You, you, it, it's a very hard thing to step away from. Yeah. You know, to come back to it. It's, it's very. When, when, when I have students of mine or friends of mine fighting, it's I'm way more nervous than they are. It's like because you can't control it. It's like sitting next to the driver. You know, and they go fast. You go like I rather have the wheel, so yeah. I'm in control here. You know, and that's um, now it's hard. There's there's no feeling like it, like when you win or when you, for six or eight weeks you work on like five special combinations. You know, on the ground and and standing, and then to see if if you can land one of those. And then ninety percent of the time you do. You know, it's something that you really worked on, and then you land that thing, and then it's like a hole in one. I guess that's what I always say. It has to be a feeling like that.
Yeah, you well, know? I think much crazier than that. I think that it's just the ultimate gamble. You know, you're out there throwing your bones at some guy, you know, trying <laughs> yeah. to trying to hit his vital areas, and it ain't just a regular guy. It's a fucking expert, and he's yeah. doing the exact same thing. And so much of your success is based on how much dedication you have, how much time you put in, how much you can keep your shit together under pressure. It's the ultimate high, right? When you win, it's the ultimate high. It, it really is. And, and, and what you say, it's the, the thing is... Can you, I always say, can you bring the dojo, the, the way you fight and train there and spar there, can you bring that game to the ring? Because that's can a you, big problem that's with guys. That's the thing. Yeah. That is a big thing. Under pressure. You a lot know, of guys are gym fans. fighters, right? Oh, yeah. Yep. And a lot of guys fold. Like, you'll see them. They'll, they'll, they'll do great. And they'll, do, they'll be, like, dominating. And then the guy will still be there. Yeah. And then you see the adversity. You see doubt. You see all kinds of creepy things about... You know, whatever the fuck haunts their subconscious, whatever the fuck is in their personality that they don't like. You see, yeah. You see it surface. Most of the time is that you, you, you see a guy when they get hit him with a hard shot, you know? And it's most of the time the muscular guys, by the way. Mm. Check it out. And uh, the big blown up dudes. When they hit somebody with their best bang and the guy recovers and comes back, and then you see him going down. Or they have him in a submission and they think they had him. And then the guy escapes. Yeah. You know, that's like a mental break for them. Then they give up. It's like the weirdest thing. You go like, whoa, man, it's so good. I know so many fighters who are, re who are like that. And I said, just do it again. Do it again and make right. it a little bit more tight. Why won't you do that, you know? But no, yeah. they give up. The fear of losing is a tremendous burden that a lot of guys have. And it eventually manifests itself in a fight. It's like they're so afraid of losing. They're so afraid of fucking up that it just, it just they make it happen. But it's afraid of losing in front of an audience yeah. because they have to listen to what those people are going to tell them. Well, mm. you should have done this. And Chris Lieben said it really funny a long time ago. He says, you got knocked out by uh, Silver, right? And, um, and, and, and he said... Um, It's bad if you go to the blockbuster and the guy behind the desk tells you what you should have done, oh. you know, because everybody knows better. Oh. And that's horrible. And that's why I always say, I say, you fight for yourself. You say, oh, Basu, you fight for your family, your wife and your kids. No, I fight for me because that takes a lot of pressure off. Because really think about this. And, and if, if you have a fellow fighter and you go both into a room, you lock the door, you guys fight. Do you really care if you lose? I don't think I really care. I love to win, but you know, I don't, I don't know. You know, he's the best man that day. He won that fight. Now, if it's in front of an audience, you got to go through all that BS that these, these other people say who have no clue what it's all about. But you see what I mean? It's yeah. all you're fighting for those people. And it's so much pressure. That's why I stay away from the, I'm going to rip his head off. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Because all that, they will play at the moment you walk through the cage and you hear yourself saying <laughs> what you're going to do. Head, right? Oh, yeah. because That's why I never did that. Because you put a lot of pressure on you. Now I better do what I said. Yeah. Guys, I don't think guys realize it. But you see it in their face sometimes when they step into the octagon. You see all the shit talking they've said. And they're like, whew. Here we go. Like, wow, what have I fucking done? There's, only, there's a few shit talkers who are actually really good. You know? Chel Sonnen is pretty good at it. He, that was, yeah. He's but he, he's the, the master Josh at Josh Barnett's yeah. pretty good at it, too. George Barnett is really good at it, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a few guys. A few guys who know the sling. Smart guys. Uh, yeah. uh, Frank Shamrock was good at it. Yes. Smart comments make. And, and yeah. Tito made a whole career out of it also, you yeah. know? You know, and everybody's, I said, that those are not the guys that you see, you know. They're playing a smart game. Nick Diaz. Yeah, yeah, he loves it. He, he loves, loves it. And he's a, he's a really nice guy, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I like him a lot. Well, he gets fired up, though, when he fights. When he fights, he's not such a nice guy. Yeah. Yeah. But, so but that's the way Psychological warfare is a part of fighting, right? That's it. Who can, I always say, who's got the biggest balls? Who who, who can, you know, keep go, keep on going? That's why I always say, 
stamina is the one number one thing. You mm. know, that, that's one thing they can never say for me. In my whole MMA career, I never run out of gas because that's the only thing you can c control, you know, when you train. Go run an extra hill. Do something. There's how nothing dumber than losing. How difficult was that for you, though, when you started to get the tendonitis? Because, you know, there's like a, there's stamina from, you know, from grappling that you probably couldn't get. Like, I know yep. for a fact that Tiyoshi Kosaka fight, yep. when you fought Kosaka, when you won the title, right? That's who you won the title? No, that was your mm -hmm. first fight. You yes, won the title for Randleman. When you, when you uh, fought Kosaka, you had a problem. Like, you couldn't do any grappling for a while, right? Didn't you have a neck problem? A neck problem. I got the, against uh, Daryl Golar. The wrestler, Very good I got wrestler. him in a triangle at the gym, and he lifted me up, and he slammed me down with my neck into the corner. Yeah, that uh. took a long time. God knows the whole thing. I just had surgery. comes from that all the way back. And that what was, was the injury. What, did, what was it? was, I have no clue, but it was so painful. I had a daughter at the time. She was like uh, nine months old, and she could not lay on my chest. Whoa. I was coughing, you know, <laughs> and everything was, I would, it was funny because I had this big syringe of lidocaine. And I'm injecting myself in between my ribs. Oh, my God. And the UFC comes in with the cameras, right? And that was at the time with the movie with Universal Soldier. <laughs> and these guys are freaking out, you know? I said, no, 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 come in, come in, come in. I said, this is, you know, this, the Lido doctor knows this. Lidocaine is dangerous shit. Yeah, but you, yeah, you, gotta, you have to watch out where to do it. But, you know, if you they do it, it always goes wrong because they can't feel where it is. Mm -hmm. But I have to between every rib. I had God, to go. So you have to do it yourself. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah, that was painful. Lidocaine is like the gay cousin of cocaine. For people who don't know, it <laughs> yeah. just numbs things up. When I got my nose fixed, I got a deviated septum fix, and they squirt lidocaine out there when they're cleaning it out, yeah. so that it doesn't freak you out. Because they go up in your nose with a vacuum cleaner. Yeah. It's like you know when you vacuum your car at the car wash, and the, <laughs> yeah. it gets stuck on the floor mat and goes. <laughs> that, that happens to the back of your fucking skull, uh. like right where your brain is when they're cleaning out, you know, uh. blood clots and you know, and and, and dried up. Boogers and shit, and they spray lidocaine up there, and I felt fucked up for the whole day. Like I was like, "What is wrong with me?" I'm like out of it, and then I realized, "Oh, it's that lidocaine." Yeah. So then I go online, and I'm like, "What is the effects of lidocaine?" People fucking die from it. Girls that put it on their legs when they go to get their legs lasered, they get the uh, the hair lasered off their legs. It's painful, so they they cover their legs with lidocaine. Some girl died in her fucking car. She covered her legs in lidocaine and then wrapped her legs up in Pours saran into wrap, the... and it just she just OD'd on. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And you're shooting it into your ribs. In my ribs. I, I, I used to many times that I would go to the fight, and then when they, I had my, my wrestling shoes, because we had to wear shoes at Pancras, they would be open like I had an ankle injury, and I would wait until <laughs> they called my name. Because one time I, I broke my hand, the knuckle, and they said, oh, we put a lidocaine in there, and it's going to wait for, work for like an hour, but it's not. It's like 15 minutes, you know, especially when your heart rate is up, it goes really fast. So at the moment I stepped into the ring, I go like, oh, no, it's back, you know. <laughs> so they're not going to do this again, you know. So I did it on the, at the moment they would call my name. I would put, put it in, and then hopefully I was not going to feel it. Fuck. Yeah. So you were fighting on lidocaine. So you shoot it in you and then fight right there. Yeah, because you could walk, you know. I, 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 uh, I, I made a really bad trip. When I was running the day before I jumped on the plane, and I was against Vernon Tiger White, it was like my fourth fight or something somewhere there. 
And and it's like it's unbelievable. He takes me down and he goes for a toe hold on that angle. Like I mean, it's like I'm sending out a signal. You know, take this, take this. It is a weird signal because whenever I get a tattoo, somebody fucking slaps me on the arm where the tattoo is. It's always. If you have an injury here where you never get hit, if you spar, you're gonna get hit there. Yeah, it is what it is. If you hurt your hand, for sure someone's gonna squeeze it when they shake it. (laughs) For sure. Why? A lot of times you go a whole year without a guy giving you one of those douchey hands. Handshakes. <laughs> you know those douchey handshakes where he grabs the tip of your fingers oh, and squishes squish them all really hard. Yeah. What the fuck is that yeah, about? Yeah. Insecure. And you'll go a year for, with that. But if you hurt your hand, it's right away. That's the first thing that's gonna happen. The guys. Wait, is that it? Fucking strange. It's the same. You got two lines. You always pick the line that's the the longest way. Yeah. This one is way longer. You take right. the shortest, and they go. This guy goes for a break, and the fucking replacement comes in. They got to redo the register. Yeah. The check. The old grandmother, you know, with the check. Oh, what is the title? How much again? Oh, oh, sorry, I got taken. When I see people paying with checks, I'm like, why don't you just fucking whip out beaver pelts? I, I cannot. Uh, I saw one the other day at the grocery store. It's like, crazy. really? You're still using this? Yeah, that's where I, last time I saw it too was at the grocery store. I'm like, yeah. checks? People a- allow you to just write on a piece of paper? Yeah, the big Lebowski, but he pays like 79 cents yeah. on that milk. Yeah. <laughs> The oh, opening movie. Oh, the opening shot. So if you didn't have all these injuries, do you think you would have kept going? Or do you think... I think I would have kept going a few more mo- a few more years, yeah. yeah. Because it, it was not a problem not having stamina. And, you know, I've always been very blessed with my body. You know, like people look at me now the whole time and they say, Oh my God, how much do you train? Well, I didn't train for a year. You know, it's like I, I, I'm just genetically really put together because of my dad my brother has the same he's a lawyer but he look it's the same he's got no fat just good just good base good genes yeah they're yeah. all athletes the root inside you know so yeah never had a problem with that what was so, the question the, the question was whether or not you would keep going oh yeah you, no i would yeah injured. because you know like i said there's nothing like it but at the moment the the fun is gone out of training training would be so much fun for me because you know somebody every time you know when you roll every time something pops up oh god that's cool yeah man some and, then, move, and yeah. some new thing and then you start using other people and it works and it works and it works and it works oh my god this is great you know and every time a new little thing or somebody shows you another little thing like a, a, a guillotine choke do it like this because they can escape you know Sergio Pena showed to me I go right. wow, wow it's yeah, like bizarre things and they get that whole crazy that yeah and you know and it's so cool but then when you have the pain the whole time it takes the pleasure out of it and right. once you have no more fun what's the use of still keep so going? you can't roll at all right now no, no, and especially just after my surgery, I get what, what, So this surgery is the same surgery from the Daryl Golar incident that you just had? I don't know. I think it added on maybe, you know. That was the it, first maybe, time it got hurt, though. Yeah, I think what, so. What was the actual surgery? What did they have done? Between C4 and 5, and 5 and 6, my nerves were flat, squashed. Whoa. So I lost atrophied my whole arm and uh, shoulder. So now they honed the holes open around it. They made Whoa. so the, the nerves are they can breathe again. So a lot way. of guys get that. Jose Aldo just got that. He has a, a nerve issue as well. His, oh, his arms gee. going numb. And Carwin. Carwin had it as well. He just had surgery on it. Carwin did. Oh, my God. That For Jose Aldo, he's one of my favorite Ooh, guys. And, that guy's and, good. Uh, that's not good, man. This is a bad injury because yeah. this is going to take a long time. I mean, this is over two months ago, and I, I, I noticed things like I could push, uh, brush my teeth harder. Mm. Push a little bit harder when I wash under my armpit, or I can shave my whole head now with a razor blade, which I couldn't do before. Things like wow. that. But power-wise, 
I do 15 pounds. That's it. Wow. Yeah, it's really uh, it's really weak. So when you roll around, it's it's not fun, you know. Yeah. Of course, they attack that arm. There we go again, Murphy's law. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everybody goes in that. I had um um. Gigout Musashi was over and his brother and his brother said that nobody could they could break his grip at an armbar I have a really weird way of putting an armbar on but the way I do it nobody can escape you know and I, and I do that I control the hand I make sure that the elbow points up you know and I control in such a way that your arm you can't get out I can just cover your face the other leg I just can put away and you still can't get out really yeah and he said to me uh, oh but you can do that on me so I'm trying trying I can't break because apparently he's known for it it's very strong and he says, see, see a guy, I say, flip around. He says, why? I said, this is my wrong arm. So I go to the other side and go, Clack! <laughs> I got him in the armbar right away. I said, listen, I can't do 15 pounds with this. You know, it's a very weak arm right now. So is it eventually going to come back to 100%? You know, it, they say it's like a millimeter a day. And it's two months ago, so that will be six centimeter. Go starting from my neck. That's got to go all the way to here. Six centimeters of what? Of healing? Of healing. The nerve heals like a millimeter a day, they say. Okay. Yeah, so nine months to a year, I should expect at least, he said. He says, so nine if months it comes year. back, because I was very late with it, they misdiagnosed wow. me. So I walked around with this thing for a long time. What, so what is the thing, though? What was the actual injury? So it's the, the, the compression of the The compression. Nerves? And the pain, all the hard pain that I had, that was the, the, the nerve apparently is a whole bunch of little cables he says and outside there's the pain thing you know once you squeeze that you know you're already really far gone and that happened with me i had no pain anymore and he says man that's the worst thing because that means that's all already died that so you're damaging and you don't even feel it that's it wow so yeah. then they go in there they drill it out and then you you have to wait forever for it to heal up yeah wow and there's nothing you can do in in between time you just have to like let it nothing heal. i started actually yesterday and this i think I, oh, no, two days ago, I started running on a treadmill, but only with the incline, so I can roll in the balls of my feet, so I don't uh -huh. have my knees shocking. Right. And I'm actually feeling okay today, my knees. So I figured, okay, if I can do that, then I can at least start doing my sprints again. That I used to be a freak, man. I could these these. What I do is I run 10 miles, uh, 10 minutes, 11 miles an hour. That's the warm up. Right. And then I jump off. I start stretching while I put the incline all the way up. Go to nine miles an hour. And then I jump on for 45 seconds and off for 30. And I do those 10, 10 of those rounds. And after that, I run like five minutes, run it out, done, take a five minute break. And then I do my power training workout. This is what, when I was at the top of my game, because that's really hard. So you, you would it. do your sprints first and then you would do your power training later? Yeah, that, everybody thought it was weird. But for me, if you do the power training first, it, it hinders you with your running. Sometimes I would do it to mimic the fights because that's what i think is the biggest problem with a lot of guys they don't realize that you you know you're pumping everything you should do apps a lot of apps before you fight and stretch them out because what happens is your abs they start filling up with like that's the behind your abs or your lungs and they start, that's why you see the roid guys because they have that boop right away they go strong boom and then they drop and I think it really is because of the abs. They because if you if they f do ten times this, it it stays like this, right? right? It pumps up. Well, imagine that happens to your core. And with everything while you're fighting, you're using your core, take down defense, everything. So that stops blowing up, stops your lungs from breathing. That's why you get tired. So you think <clears throat> abs are important for stamina? That's what you're saying. Very important to keep them loose, to keep them loose and to stretch them out. This is very important. I would take before a fight also aspirin. 
you know, to make my blood thin. Because I, in, in Thai boxing, I would never wear wraps. I don't like to have wraps around me. So really? I would go bare knuckle in the gloves. And with the shoes, I hated those things. You know, this was totally Japanese rules, right? The pancreas I mean, shoes. Yeah, because what, what happens is those Japanese guys, they're really good on the ground. And so they say, okay, and the striking, not so. Okay, so let's put them on shin guards. Let's put them on knee protection and push shoes because they're good with leg locks and no gloves because then they're good for the rear naked chokes and all. I mean, they're totally adapted. When I left Pancras, I think two, three months later, it was they changed the rules. It was closed fist and yeah. no more. I go, whoa. I've been yeah. waiting for a long time for this. Yeah, they had to try to adapt to, to be mixed martial arts. Yep. Yeah, eventually. So is it pancreas where you hurt your knees? <clears throat> I, You know, I don't know. I, I have no clue. I think I'm so, uh, I'm very explosive. And I think over the years that just scraped off and my, my things are bold. They say they're bleeding bone marrow out of one knee. God so it's like, damn. yeah, it's like very painful, man. It's, uh, it's so not fun. Do you do any other martial arts exercises? I know you have that thing that you sell. Uh, yep. Well, that's, that, that's part of it because you, you don't want to hit things, right? Exactly like that. Yeah. Because it has no impact. You don't get right. the, 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 the tendonitis. Right. Every fighter should use that thing like 12 days before the fight. Mm. Not that heavy bag anymore. That's where the accidents happen. You know, right. you get tired, sweat on the bag, but your gloves mm -hmm. slips or the wrist hurts. There's always things happen with a heavy bag. And, and they like to hit a heavy bag, which I did also because it's, it's a cool thing. But there's always that moment when you hit really hard like a liver shot and you feel dink. Right. And then I know, okay, tomorrow I got the tendonitis. Did back. you develop this thing? This, it's called the BOSS system. What, is it, what does it stand for? The body action stand. So what happened was, this, <laughs> this is a long time ago, or a long time ago, like four years or something ago, my agent tells me that uh, this woman uh, wants to see me. They have a product. And it, it started out with a stand with two of those uh, kicking things. Like you know, the Taekwondo that, thing? Yeah, those yeah. two. So I came to her, and I, I was hangover, hungover. It was one of the, the last period that I was still drinking. And I walk in, I say, okay, I'm telling you right now, because you can breathe it, <laughs> you can smell it. I'm a little hangover, let me take a look at this thing, and I call you back tomorrow, uh, what I think. So I looked at the thing, and the next day, I called back, I said, okay, now this is what we should do. And I had this whole list ready, and she goes like, whoa, 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 we thought you didn't notice anything yesterday. I said, no. And then I came up to do a head, to do a body pad, you know, and make targets on there, and, you know, but then, then it starts, because people think this is an easy product. There's knockoffs from these things, right? They're already selling knockoffs. If you buy that thing, then you realize, that was like our early stages, what you're gonna have. They're gonna flop around, they're gonna break, because you need to find a spring that is just right to not be too floppy and not too stiff. If it's too stiff, the whole stand will move. If it's too floppy, you can't knock it for the second punch because it's still moving. You know, it needs to be just right. Now the foam in there needs to be just right. Now foam, the density, the density if, if it's really tight foam, it's heavier, you know? So if you say, okay, is this a little bit too hard? I want different foam, you put different foam, but now because it's lighter, then the spring needs to be changed again. So every time I got like eight prototypes and I have to train on those things the whole time to see and find out which is what and what's the best weight and the best foam with what spring, it took two and a half years. Yeah. Really, two and a half years to find that. They hit that thing, I mean, 30,000 times with a machine. Dong, dong, dong. That thing, when you buy it, it won't break. Two guys, there was two heads broke. But that was from a shipment that we right away took out because it was something with the glue 
that was that it didn't connect with the, it was it was vaporizing or eating the glue so it didn't work there was two only we sent a new heads back and we never we sold a lot of those things so you have no problems no problems. do you use those yourself do you use every them? time when i train yeah but i now right now i can't i use a lot of, i can't do hooks like see that's a weird weird angle for me and uppercuts if I make 10 uppercuts, the last uppercut goes slow up because it's, yeah, it's biceps. Now you really realize that you need your biceps in order to put your body weight into a punch. You can't lock it up now. A straight punch I'm okay with, but hooks, I can hit with a glove. I can hit you as hard as I want to your belly. You're not going to go down. Wow. For real. Yeah, it's really, it's pathetic when I look at it. Like Why a, did you uh, like having no uh, wraps on? I always have that I want to have my blood flow keep going for some reason i have the feeling if this happens that it doesn't circulate anymore naturally it's a bad feeling when you get a tight wrap when it's yeah. too tight yeah i don't like it at all and you don't need it if you hit the right way all these guys are so like like tyson i always give the example just know or just learn how to hit the correct way and nothing will happen these guys they come in the room and they they got the special guys that they they got a stitch there on call every day two times a day they wrap the hands perfect he can hit it in any angle it doesn't matter so then, when you when this guy, that's why when you had a street fight, he would always break his hand, right, Tyson? Right. Because he doesn't know how to hit. He hits him with a pinky, whatever, wrong technique. But Just isn't it right hard way. when you're fighting because guys move and sometimes you wanted to hit him with these two knuckles, but you accidentally catch him with the, the last knuckle? You know, of course, it's always... It's, it you have happens. to, yeah, you know, especially in karate, with the Kyokushin karate, you're sparring and it's bare knuckle. Mm. And some of these guys, they have a gi, and some guys have their hips here, right? Mm -hmm. So that's how I broke this one also. You hit a hip. You think you have to get the liver, but it's not. It's a, it's a hip bone. Yeah, that, that'll hurt. That'll, uh, that was the good thing in mixed martial arts because now you can see what you're hitting. Everything. Now, you, so started out, you started out in Taekwondo. Is that where you were? Uh, Taekwondo. Was that was my first sport, yeah. I did that for about, I don't know, four weeks or, or six weeks, and I was already beating up the brown belts. You have to understand my... My parents are very conservative. I never they would never allow me to do a martial art. But I, but I always got bullet and I saw a Bruce Lee movie in 76 Enter the Dragon in in um, in France when we were on a holiday and I came out and said that's it I want to be Bruce Lee, you know? So I made these nunchucks and uh, I was on like kung fu shoes. I had the whole the whole thing. Yes, I was really So uh I, I asked my parents, please, 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 but they wouldn't allow me. So I kept going, kept going, training myself, so watching movies and just kept training. And then finally, after two years, they said, okay, you know, stop asking questions, go. And we had a neighbor, the girl next door, she had a boyfriend who was the cool guy from the town. And he said, okay, come with me. He took me kind of under a swing. And, um, and I, I, it went really good. I started being up, like I said, the brown belts out like within six weeks. So I said, man, you got a good feeling. So my confidence rose and... At that moment, I was driving, riding my bike on the street, and the biggest bully comes with six of his buddies or something, and they uh, said something, and I, I shouted something back. And they all laughed, were laughing, and they right away came after me. And when I saw them coming for me, I stopped my bike, and I put it down, and I was just waiting for the guy. And then the biggest bully comes to me, and he's pushing, you know that in the early days, you push with your chest. Right. And he pushed against my chest, and I go, pop! And he goes down, broke his nose, out. Anybody more? Nobody did anything. I come home, police was already home waiting. <laughs> and that was it. No more Taekwondo for me. So when I moved out of the house when I was 21, you know, that's when I started 
fighting. And that's when you started kickboxing and everything kickboxing, else. Kickboxing, yeah. Muay Thai. And how did you uh, transition into pancreas? Where did that come about? You know, this is... Oh, it's cool. we got time, right? Yeah, sure. Okay, cool. Now, um, let me go back. Let me see. I was fighting uh, Thai boxing in Holland. I won a lot of fights by knockout. Like my first 14 fights, I won by knockout. 13 in the first round. Round one, I was sick. Was what what was your, uh, your final kickboxing record? when you, when you... 16, uh, 16 and 2. No, 14 wins, 2 losses. So, I fought this guy um, who uh, was in jail for a long time, Frank Lopman. Very powerful fighter. Had a record like 52 with like three losses and like 48 knockouts, some monster. Now, apparently, I was a bouncer at the time. Apparently, on New Year's Day, when I was bouncing, I was also drunk. <laughs> well, that's an example. And somebody asked me if I wanted to fight him. And I said, sure. So, in I think like the end of January, I get a phone call. They asked me where to send the posters to. And I said, what posters from the fights? I said, who's going to fight? You against Lopman. And I go, who, who said that? He said, you. You told me that you're going to fight for So now they had posters already. I go like, okay. You know, I might as well. Yeah, I got to do it now because otherwise they're going to think I'm scared, right? So I had about five weeks to train. Now you got to understand that I, I got tired from jumping rope the first time. <laughs> I was so out of shape, it was not even funny. So anyway, I go to the fights and I, I just had my, my knee, my shin at this, this here. There was a huge hole. I, uh, I did some crazy stuff on the wall. There was a wall I jumped on. I, I was always really good in jumping up like Randleman did. You know, I could jump this high, like my chest here. I would stand in front of it and jump on a wall. But it had been raining and I jumped on it. My toes slid up and I landed on my shin on it. Uh. So I ripped my shin open. So the day of the fight was all wild flesh and we had the tape, you know, and, and, they, and it was like a super glue and everything. And my friend, friend says, okay, lidocaine, there it is again, right? He says, you know, I said, just put it around. He says, no, we'll numb up the whole leg. You know, don't worry about it. He says, and he said, he put it in my butt. So he no. says, the, the leg will be numb. And you'll see that fight. You'll see that fight. I'm, I'm like jumping. I'm, I'm never jump when I fight. And the whole time I'm, you know, and I'm shaking my leg and I can't feel my leg. It's like the weirdest thing, you know? Oh, no. So then um, it, it went, they said there was a knockout. It was a knockout. When you look at the fight, you'll see. They, I don't think he even hits me. But I, I'm landing on my butt and I want to get up and I can't get up. My, my leg doesn't work. And I go, whoa, you know? I said, man, my leg doesn't work, you know? So, and the referee said, stop the fight. And then all the people start saying, see, I always said that he cannot fight. So that really bugged me, of course. Anyway, I said, okay, I'll fight another fight. Shouldn't have done that either because on the th three days or four days before the fight, I helped a buddy of mine out. Uh, they really beat the crap out of him. He had his jaw all the way wired. You know, and his, his mouth was closed, so we, we went to the guys who did it. And we got in a little scuffle there, of course, and they threw me in jail for a couple of days. In the jail. One is why you can't get in Canada. Right. Uh, in the, yeah. But it's a long time ago. In the jail, I had, for some reason, I got an infection in one of my testicles. Whoa. And it became, like, really big, and it was hurting a lot. And they let me out. You know, because it was only a few days. It was they did the whole test. And they found out that you know what the guys did, and they say, you know what, we don't, we're not gonna bring you to court. You know, they they kind of felt that we were right. You know, doing what we did. Anyway, I still fought, and I shouldn't have taken that fight. I knocked the guy down 
three times in the first round, and then and um, and then actually I I win. I make a spinning of an of a, of a, a back fist. Oh yeah, that was it. He's standing in front of me, and I'm so tired. You know, my body is. Oh, I'm so tired, and I go boom. I make I give him a back fist in his neck, and he goes down. And I so I think I won the fight. And apparently, like a month before, there was a rule that if you did a back fist, you only could do it with a turn. Some bullshit. What? Have. Yeah, it was bullshit. Anyway. I couldn't come out for the second round because I was too tired. And they said, okay. Now it really started in Holland. You see, I always said, it was not so good, blah, blah, blah. But I said, okay, I never fight for Holland anymore. This is over. You know, I, if these fans are like this, I, I don't want to fight in front of people like this. But I was Very always... Sensitive. Yeah, it is. Because, yeah. you know, it's your life. It's, yeah. uh, and, um, but it was always that I wanted to do something with martial arts. So a buddy of mine... We both together we made this show. It's like an, um, an um, a martial arts show on music, and we start doing this in like nightclubs, and we would like, but really cool, really cool stuff. I would kick him in the belly like Bruce Lee and Enter the Dragon, right? He would grab my foot, throw me back, and I would make a flying a kick in his in, yeah in his face and land, and you know we did all that cool stuff. We I, we would come on with like an. Um, a cartwheel, flick, flick, and then, that's the way we would up to walk to the place. And we had bows, and we did nunchucks, and we did like break tests, the crazy stuff, and, and little cups on his mouth. I would kick back, spinning back kick here, and jump up and jumping, flying back kick the cup of his head. You know, so good quality martial arts. But we start um, putting comedy in there also, like funny things that. Um, for instance, I would uh, I would stand there very serious with a uh, suit, and I go go get the cups, and the guy would come back and he had done these little cups, and I, I kept looking straight and go no, the other ones, what the other ones, and he go okay, so then he would walk and he would come back with cups like this, like buckets, <laughs> now stuff like that. We start doing stuff like that, and he would have an. Uh, there was also a funny one. We'd, I would do a break test, and the same thing, you know. We would come with the break test and go take the other ones, you know. So then he came back and he had like. These, these wooden things that were this thick, you know? <laughs> Little thin square. things. And he would spread them out like a deck of cards. <laughs> and I would like pick one, right? And he would hold it. And then I would stand in front of it and I go, <laughs> and then he would buy, buy, because of fear, he would break it already, you know, stuff like that. We would do. And that caught on real fast. People really started and seemed to like that. So suddenly we were doing this on bigger shows. First in nightclubs, then we start doing it on shows like uh, events, big events. Rob Kamen, when he was fighting, I think that when he had the main event one time, we were in the break, you know, showing this to the people. So that got aired. And then we were on Dutch TV and then Eurosport saw it and they had an event yearly in, in France and we went to there and we started traveling now and doing these shows all over the place. And comedy was always the thing. Once we start doing the comedy, people will know me. There's a few of those things on YouTube, actually. So on one of these shows, because we came up with all these flick flucks and somersaults and all that stuff, Chris Dolman was sitting there. And Chris Dolman is one of the forefathers in Holland. He was a judo champion, tough guy, you know. And um, he called me to him and he says, man, you, you, you got some really good abilities, man. Did you ever think about free fighting? You know what it is? He says, no. He says, well, we do that in Japan. Are you interested? I say, sure, because they go, okay, that's not Holland, that's Japan, right? So he says, come and try it out. So I walk in there, and at that moment I was, you know, European champion Thai boxing. So it was uh, because the, those two fights weren't for a title. So I, I thought I was the cool dude. And, um, and that was literally like Hoist Gracie in the beginning. You know, I walk in and they killed me. 
And they will put on these chokes, not blood chokes, but like on my windpipe, you know, and pulling, 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 because a lot of those guys... You had no grappling back then. Zero. Did you know that they were going to grapple when you went there? No. No, nothing. Nothing. I had no clue. I saw them on the ground, and then they said, okay, just go. Whoa. So I had no clue. So you showed up, you just thought it was just some kind of a crazy fight, you had no idea. Just fighting. So we're training, and I literally, when I drove back, I had to stop my car next to the road, and I had one of the first Philips telephone cell phones. It was really cool at the time. I remember these Giant pretty cell big. Phones. Yeah. And I called my wife. I said, "Listen, I'm I'm I have my car next to the road here. I'm going to sleep." <laughs> I said, "I can drive." It broke me. It really, I I had to drink liquid food for like three days because my whole throat was messed up because I thought I could hold that. You know, so I was just fighting it, and they were pulling, pulling, till yeah, at the end I would tap, but it was all crushed up, and and my wife was already laughing. She says, "Ah, oh, okay, so that's it, right?" I said, "No, no, no, I'm gonna go back, and within six months, three six months, I'm gonna tap everybody there, you know, because I want to learn this. I want to learn this game." But things started happening, and and I got an injury here, an injury there, and I had to work, and it was a bouncer, and and you know, I once a month I would go over there, and it kind of faded away. Then my wife looks at me, or in the beginning of our career, and she says, you're going to be a famous fighter in Japan. And I go, well, why do you say that? She says, that just came up with me. I said, no, I'm not going to fight anymore, I told you. She said, yeah, you said Holland, but you're going to go to Japan. Six months after she made that comment, I get a phone call, and I never pick up the phone, and the, and the answering machine was broke, uh, or turned off because my crazy ex-wife was calling all the time, so I didn't turn on. So I get the, um, uh, I pick up the phone for some reason, and it's Chris Dolman. He says, "Boss, you got to come tonight. You got to come to Amsterdam. There's a tryout. There's two guys here, Suzuki and Funaki. They're looking for fighters for a new organization, Pancras." So I went to the tryout. I had a scuffle with one of the rings champion because they they were fighting for rings, but it was a lot of work. I heard already that they were having works. Which By works, you mean fixed fights. Fixed fights. There was a lot of that in Pancrase, right? No, in, there wasn't rings. In Pancrase, I will come back to that. No, no, I believe so that there was, but not what the people said. Like, they never asked me. Well, I'll, I'll come back to that okay. also. Anyway, the, because he told me right there, he says, you know, it's probably going to ask you a little bit later if you want to lose a fight. Anyway, I started sparring with this guy. This guy was a rings champion. He tried to hurt me because they were filming. Result was me knocking him out with a high kick, boom, and his he, his whole eyebrow was open. He had to go to the hospital for stitches. Suzuki and Funaki, I saw them pointing at me. So they wanted me. I think two months, two and a half months later, I was in Japan. And and, and before I went, I got that speech from Chris Dolman. He says, they're probably going to ask you, you know, to uh, to lose or to win a fight. I said, Chris, I, I don't want to do that. He said, if I want to... If I fight, it needs to be real. Otherwise, I don't. I hated those guys who were there, and they uh, they would come back and they, they would say, um, "Yeah, I became a champion." And and, and I, they were all cool. But then when they came back and they had to lose, they would come back and they say, "Yeah, I lost, but you know, you know, they, they I had to I had to lose. Yeah, right. last time they made you win, you know, but you don't say that. But you only say it when you lose. So I hated those guys with that. You know, you're not a real guy. So I knocked the first guy out. And in the second fight, I knocked the other guy out, uh, Fouquet. And then, by the way, we had dinner with Funakio Suzuki and I thought, God, God, here we go. You know, so dinner, they gave me a book from Fujiwara, a really good wrestler. And uh, we had great dinner and, and they put me on a cap. And just before they walked in, I go, whoa, 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 wait. I say, I thought you guys were going to ask me something. He said, what do you mean? He says, well, Chris Dolman told me that, you know, that you're probably going to ask to 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 throw the fight. And Suzuki told me straight in my face, 
I will never ask you such a thing. He says, we will never do that. Now, over the years, I've been hearing, of course, and some fights, when you look at fights, it looks really smooth and going over. And like Ken Shamrock said, he lost. Also, he lost. The lost fights were all works. You know, it's also, you go like, okay, he lost twice by exactly the same combination. And he looked into a knee bar against the same opponent. And you go like, if it was a not real, wouldn't you come up with something else to lose? Would you really do two times the same? You see, so that's been also in my head. I Did go, you ever see Bart Vale versus Ken Shamrock? No. It looks so fake. It's one of the early ones that looks really like a work. There's a few that look like a, really like a work. Yeah. That's one of them. You know, you've seen the ones in Pride, like remember when Coleman fought oh, Takata? Oh, were, were, were you commentating on that one? You were, were you oh my God, they hated my guts because yeah. it was the funniest thing ever. We knew that Coleman was going to lose in six minutes with a heel hook, right? We knew. That was the word. I heard that. So wow. when the reporters came in, they asked me, who do you think is going to win? And I say, I say, Takata's going to win in about six minutes with the heel hook. <laughs> <laughs> And they went around, and they they changed it. They went like faster or something. They didn't really didn't like that that I was doing that. Wow. But I go like that's that's something again. I can. That's why I get sometimes I get emotional from it when people say, "Oh, it was uh, fake." And then the worst one, what they say is, "Yeah, but sometimes it was fake, and Boss didn't know of it, so they told the opponent to lose against Boss." Oh. You know, like against um, I fought against Funaki. And then uh, one guy said one time, he said, uh, yeah, that was a work because he uh, didn't uh, hurt you. I said, when did he decide that he was going to lose? Was it before or after he tried my f to break my freaking leg? I mean, I know if you know the, if you see the fight, he puts me a heel hook, an inverted heel hook with the toes in his neck. And my heel is 180 degrees there. I'm literally looking at my own leg. And I go, oh my God, I don't feel it, <laughs> you know? That I thought, nobody else. What That was a big risk what he was going to take if this was a fake fight, right? Yeah. And he did it like two or three times. So you'll see my leg completely be turned the other way. Did you suffer any damage? Because uh, No, I have no clue how that is. Reverse heel hook is one of the worst, It's right? the worst one. I broke this. this I'm, I'm walking on the street, right? And, and we should suddenly be here with all the fighters. We hear, hybrid wrestling, playing for us. And we look, and there's this giant screen. And the first thing you see is me, pop, giving a palm strike, and the guy goes down, and we go, yay, you know, and it's the promo for the next day. So I see this guy, Takahashi, sitting in, an, um, in, a, in a half guard, and he grabs a heel, and he falls back. And I go, this is at the time I had nobody to roll with, right? I trained on the back two times a day. My first year and a half in Pancras was me training on the back, pretty much. Once no wrestling, no no. No, pretty much training. nothing. Like, rolling around. If there was somebody who knew judo, he would come. I mean, I'm talking about once every three weeks. I'm wow. not kidding. So next day, I'm in that position. And I go, oh, might as well try it, right? So I grabbed that heel. But since I never did it, I didn't realize how much pressure I put on. So I grab it and I fall back using my body weight. I snap the shin in half. So first we hear, we hear go, you know, so I go, whoa, you see me letting go? And then he feels his knee and he's like, you want to fight? He said, yeah. But I go like, well, dude, I, I hurt your knee, snap, because we thought it was a knee. But apparently it was still like a little stuck on that leg. So then he kicks with that leg. And I flex my muscle, you see the... And then when he puts a foot down, it bends all the way out, you know? Whoa. It's like that. I've seen that a few uh, times. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I've seen that a few times with checked legs. Only in person once, Corey Hill and... Um, God, who did he fight? I forget who he fought. Uh, Brent... No, what the hell's his name? Anyway, uh, whoever he fought, he, uh, he checks 
uh, his kick and Corey Hill's leg snaps backwards. The referee didn't even see it. So Whoa. Corey goes down. And the referee was in a bad angle. We're all screaming, stop the fight. Referee didn't even know, and he's just on his back, like, freaking out. That's dangerous, man, especially the shin when it's splittered, you know, and yeah. it hits a wrong... Uh, oh, yeah, you can bleed yeah. out. You can bleed out. The That's guy... Uh, the, you, you, you showed me, I think, uh, on Twitter, you sent a tweet with the guy who's fighting with the broken arm. Yeah. Remember? I mean, yeah. how tough is that dude? Yeah. And he didn't feel it. Then the referee saw it in the round three, and then they stopped the fight. But this guy was just going, annihilating the other guy with it. It was unbelievable. Both these guys were actually really good. I go, what organization yeah. was that? Well, you know, Rich, uh, Rich Franklin, when he fought Chuck Liddell, he broke his arm, he punched Chuck with it after it was broken. Yeah. God. So you went and uh, after you f your fighting career was done, then you started doing the commentary in uh, in Japan. You had a couple of fights after that, the, the Ruben Villarreal <clears throat> fight you had in the WFA. Yeah. And what, what happened was that I would have Mark Kerr and Marco Huas and Pedro Hizo and... All these guys, they were training with us at the Beverly Hills Jiu-Jitsu Club. And I would train those guys, and I would go with them as, as cornermen. And in, in Japan, when you, when you fight, you see the fights are on in the dressing room. So I'm sitting, I'm watching there, and Yukino and, and Hideki, those two guys, the, 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 the people from Pride who live in America, you know, who are the in-between persons, so to say, are there also. And I go like, oh, look at that. He's going to go for straight arm bar. I say on his right arm, watch out, watch out. Here he comes, here he comes, boom. And the guy's got straight arm bar. So they look at me. And then the next fight is right away also again. I say, oh, my God, he's looking for a knee bar. Oh, he's going to roll in. He's going to roll in, he's going to go for a knee bar. And sure enough, he rolls and he goes for a knee bar. And they go like, how do you know this? I said, well, you, you can see the setup. And they look at each other and I said, did, did you ever think about being a commentator? <laughs> And that's how I got the job. Who was doing it before you? Nobody, because they were looking at that moment, they were looking at, at new people because they had the first nine or something. Uh, Quarters and I, we did that in a studio uh. Uh, later, you know. Um, yeah, but, but I, we, I think the first one was... Um, Cause, uh, no, Eddie did it with Quadros for a while. Eddie Bravo did he it. He did it also, yeah. And you came in and did Hoist it. Gracie. Hoist ah. Gracie, that was the first one I was there. That was the first one I think that got broadcasted to the States. Now, this is it. after you'd fought in the UFC, after you'd won the title. Did you, were you completely <clears throat> done? I mean, you obviously you had another fight in the WFA after that. Like, what was it like being there in Pride during the glory days? And, you know, did you think about making comebacks? Because I know there was some I made, talk. Yeah, yeah, no, I did. I did. It was two times. Two times. <clears throat> one time it was against um, Vanderlei Silva. Yeah. Because the, they needed an opponent for him that was at the event, at that, that, that dynamite event. 91 and a half thousand people, man, live, outside, crazy, you know? And they couldn't find an opponent. And I said, listen, I didn't roll for a long time because I had problems. I said, but everybody wants to see a strike anyway. Why? And, and there was also, at the same card, was K1. You remember Jerome LeBanner was fighting Don Fry, K1 rules. Mm -hmm. So I said, so why don't we do K1 rules with MMA gloves? I mean, that's what the people want to see anyway, you know, from us too. But then that fight didn't go through. They, they took somebody else. Shit. And yeah, that would have been awesome, man. Because at that time, yeah, man, I, I, was, I was hurting like um, my, my, the guy who holds the, the tie pads. I mean, he would have purple arms. He was going, my God, this is no fun anymore, you know, because I was in shape. You know, I had a real good stamina. Fuck, that would have been a great oh, fight. Yeah. You against Vanderlei? <clears throat> Holy shit, a, a pure stand up fight. And then, and then when, when Ken came to Pride, I was the first one to say, I say, I come out of retirement if, you, if I can find him. But Ken said, oh, we did it already uh, twice. We, we don't need to do it the third time. 
Really? So he declined to fight in pride with you? Yeah, that's what he came personally to tell me. He says, boss, I told him that I didn't want to do it because we already fought two times. What does that mean? Yep. I don't, and you fought but, Pancras. You never fought in MMA. I would have loved, but but also at that time I was a totally different fighter. Like mm. Ken, Ken's fight uh, against me made me who I am. That that fight was like literally, God was watching and he says, okay, I give you this one guy to train with in Holland, 19 year old Leon Van Dyke, freaking monster. He did on a machine with 275 pounds. He would do curls. It was bizarre. I would have him in an armbar, and I better do two hands because he literally would start doing this. It was insanely strong. And I started training him. Both we didn't know anything, and we would watch tapes. I would watch tapes, and I would see a heel hook, for instance. I would write down how it works. Next day, we start rolling. I would go heel hook. Whoop, I go heel hook. I say, okay, now let's break this down. Let's see how we can make it better. I say, okay, how can you escape? Well, if I push this way, okay, so how can I stop you from doing this? And we start breaking down every little thing. I say, so okay. So you basically did it by yourself from scratch. Everything. No, everything. no high-level instruction at all. Nothing. Wow. I did everything myself. And, and you know, and that's the cool part, because one, one time I got a phone call when my big DVDs of combat come out. And I was at the time when BJ fought Matt Hughes all the way back. And BJ called me and I say, hey boss, it's BJ. I said, BJ Penn? Yeah. I said, wow. I say, where do I owe this pleasure for? He says, I just want to tell you, you made the best instructions that I've ever seen. I said, man, that is so cool. He says, I got to go. I got to do my run. I said, whoa, let me, can I use your quote? <laughs> see, but that's cool stuff. And I saw, and I realized also that a lot of people, a, a, a lot of fighters took everything straight out of jiu-jitsu and they put it into mixed martial arts and a lot of stuff straight out of jiu-jitsu doesn't work in mixed martial arts because sure. it needs to be more compact like uh, 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 the sleeve will will take care that it's harder for you to roll out of an armbar so that's why armbars with me I always control the inside of the hand so you, you, you can't rotate your hand whatever armbar pretty much I do it's always control control because I don't want it to rotate you know, and I would heel hooks and I would start breaking everything down. And then I say, okay, if I would tap him, for instance, with an, uh, an armbar from the mount, I'm just making something up. He would, after three times, he would know my setup. So I would create a different way to go to that armbar. He would find that one out and then I would create a different way. So then suddenly I start for every move, I start having three or four different ways to go to that submission. And then I start tossing those around. That seems so crazy. It's like you had to learn jujitsu on your own. Like on my you, own. You had to figure it out. Like look at how people were doing it and deconstruct and doing it. it. And then my next eight fights, I trained for three months, I think. Two times a day. Sometimes I would wake up at night, would call him, and we would go around. I think I was always game, always. And we would train. And my next eight fights, I won by submission. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Yeah. So when did you ever get real, legitimate jujitsu instruction? Did you get some in Never. 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 Wow. Your whole Never. career, you're self-taught. Yeah, everything. That's cool. Wow. And the cool part, and I, and I always say this because I'm very proud of it, and that's why I'm saying it, is you... If you look at the record, in Pancras, that rope escapes, right? That means yes. that if you could get in a choke, but you could touch the rope, They'll he had to you let go. you go. It's ridiculous. But but, uh, but on the other side, it's really good for you as a fighter to develop. Because now you have to make be more strategical. Now you have to make sure that you have him in the center of the ring before you go. So then again, if you're going to miss it, you're in the center of the ring. So there's more thinking with. Sometimes I want to fight with like four submissions. So instead of going out there, I had now four submission victories pretty much in one fight. And I think that that's why the Pancras guys were so good in the UFC. I think six or seven guys from Pancras became all UFC champion because they, of that rule, I truly believe, I, I know it's crazy. I always said, as long as I don't get, have to escape, because if I escape for me, that would feel like a loss, but I right. didn't. 
You see, so, so even allowing them to escape to you, it's good because it just means you get more submission work in. Yeah, I, I have another fight now. You see what I mean? So you have more fights. Than one. So you feel and like you won, you won already, and now let's do it and again. And let's do it again. Ah. And then if you look at the ways I submitted people, you can call a submission. Okay, a go-go plot I didn't do, but you can come up with some crazy stuff. I put it everywhere. He looks, normally he looks inverted, knee bar, triangle, choke triangle, arm bar, figure force. How many fights did you have over in uh, Pancreas? Um, uh, 31. 31? Yeah. Holy shit. Over the course of how many years? That was only over the course of five years. I fought the first year, I fought nine fights, and the second nine again. And wow. then night eight again. I mean, I was on a high wow. go. I fought that in a pretty short time. So by the time you got to the UFC, you had a shitload of fights. Like all, yeah. the, all the Muay Thai fights, all the Pancras fights, and then finally you got to fight. MMA style. Finally, because I, Finally. I wanted to go to the UFC for the for the entrance song. I kid you not. I thought that was the coolest thing. The old original. From Eindhoven, Holland. You know, and I go, I want to come up with that song. That is so cool. And that really, that's they came ask me. I said, but that was the the deciding factor that I said, okay, I want to do it. Because I just loved that song. And then... They, they promoted the shit out of you when you first came. Oh, I remember that. I gave you one of the posters. Yeah. Brian sold it on eBay. I used to have the old posters. <laughs> the world's best martial yeah, artist. greatest martial yeah. artist. Yeah. But it was cool. And, and, and I had a great idea. I had, I had the, the three tenors. You know, Pavarotti and all these, these guys. They had this... Uh, they did an, a tour. And on one of those tracks is uh, I Like to Be in America. And it's a 43-second clip. And I told him, I said, oh, I like to be in America, you know. And I thought, okay, please, let me put on that clip for 43 seconds. And then the UFC tune comes up. I mean, I'm going to score here in America, right? That's hilarious. <laughs> you were so worried about your opening music. Oh, man, that was it. For every fighter, I always got that. That's why, did you read the script already for uh, Kevin's movie? No, I haven't read it. Oh, okay, because you're in it, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's Kevin, really it's fun. Kevin James, who you don't yeah. know, who's trained with you a bunch of times, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did. Uh, He's a very talented martial artist. He really is. People gonna. They don't you know. know. The people who are talking a lot of shit, like Kevin James, a comedian, yep. he's gonna do a UFC movie. Kevin James can hit the fucking shit out of the pads. <laughs> yeah. Really? yeah. I see why yeah. he gonna freak. When yeah. I was in Boston, when I was doing that uh, Zookeeper movie with him, we trained with Mark Delagrate, and I was like, God damn, dude, his fucking technique is crisp. And and you know what? If you if you if I say okay, you need to hit. Open your hip a little bit more. Do it. He'll do yeah. it the next He's time. He's a very smart dude. Yeah, he is. He really yeah. is. He hates it when we say this. Because she said, "Oh, I don't want people. You know, it's no. a, I'm just. He's a very. He's very a humble. very humble guy. He yeah. is for, for a success, such a successful guy. He's oh, very yeah. humble. I met him when he lived on that apartment on Overland in a one bedroom apartment, which he shared with another guy. Yeah. And now he lives in a house. Yeah, you know where he lives. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you go like, he's the same dude. Same guy. Same guy. I've Never known changed. Kevin since he was basically an open micer. <laughs> I was the one who talked his my, my manager into signing him. Oh wow. He had only been doing comedy just like me. We were both basically open micers. We had, we had done a little bit of professional work, but. I mean, we've been doing comedy two, three years. You're really an open micer that's getting paid. You're yeah. you're a, an amateur, basically. That's when Kevin and I met. We met in like 
shit, 91 maybe, 92? Yeah, he said uh, that you and he would watch the Pancras fights all yeah. together. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that's he used him. to come over to my house in Encino. We would yeah. watch him, man. <laughs> I had a buddy of mine from Canada who would get them from Japan. He had a, a, a connection in Japan. So he would get them. They would send them to Canada, and then he would send them from Canada to me, and then uh, we would watch them at my house. We got yeah. all Japanese commentary. You know, I watched all of them. I watched, you know, I'd get a stack of them every month. Yeah. This was before I was even working for the UFC. I, this was, uh, you know, before I ever even started thinking about doing commentary. Yeah. Yeah, we were just fans. That's what, how, how did you ever get in there? Because you went from Fear Factor. Before that. I started working in 97. Before you came to the UFC, I'd done, co I'd done the um, post-fight interviews oh. for about two years. I started at UFC 12, Dothan, Alabama, Vitor Belfort's debut. Okay. And uh, I did it then. I was on news radio, and what happened was they just needed a guy to do the post-fight interviews. They didn't have anybody, and my manager was friends with the guy who, the same guy who signed Kevin. I was, my manager was friends with the guy who was one of the producers of the show, this guy Campbell McLaren, mm -hmm. who was also the guy who uh, tried to get me to fight Wesley Snipes one day. So <laughs> yeah. they, they, um, they needed someone to do the post-fight interviews, and so he uh, just sent me to fucking Alabama. Alabama out of nowhere and before you know what I'm doing it was very unorganized though it's not yeah. like the UFC today I did it for you know maybe two years but I saw a lot of great fights you know Shamrock versus Inoviev I saw Frank uh, I saw Randy Couture's debut Vitor Belford's debut Dan Henderson's debut I mean I was there for a lot of great great fights but it started to cost me money so I quit it was, yeah. it was like I would make more money doing comedy than that so yeah. it, was, it was a little too and I was on news radio at the time the sitcom so I was, I was too busy So I quit, and then when the UFC came along, uh, when Zufa, rather, purchased the UFC, then I started working for them. That was But and, and, and when did you fear, fear Factor? That was at that time also? Yeah, Fear Factor was 2001, I believe it started, and uh, I was already on Fear Factor when I started working for the UFC. They, okay. I did it as a favor. The first, I think, eight shows I did for free. Yeah. I just said, you know, they wanted me to do commentary, and I was like, all right, I'll do it. I'll sit in there. I'll yeah. do that. I just was just talking, you know? Yeah. yeah, really, honestly, I shouldn't have been paid for the first ones. I wasn't very good at it. <laughs> yeah, no, but still, you know, that's the <laughs> yeah. same as fighting. You, in the beginning, you don't care about money, yeah. but until you know suddenly yeah. you go like okay well actually she's get paid for it well <laughs> yeah. then it became you know it became the thing that I enjoyed most I mean it's like stand up comedy I enjoy the most I'm, I'll always be a fan of mixed martial arts even when I'm not doing if I retire one day and stop doing commentary I'm always going to watch the fights yep. I'm always going to be a fan but I'm always going to do stand up comedy as a profession so that's my number one thing but other than that all the things that I've ever done in my life like UFC or a Fear Factor or a news radio or The UFC is the greatest fucking job ever. I mean, I love it. It's, so I, I always loved it also in Japan. I, I, I would say to Maru, I would say, Maru, we're the only two in six billion right now who see freaking Fedor versus Crow Cop. Yeah. Or Fedor and Nogueira. You know, those epic fights and, and, and Vandalay Silva annihilating, you know, uh, Sakuraba. Sakuraba. Like, yeah. wow. Crazy stuff, and you it's were like, there for some prime oh, fights. Pride oh. in the for people who don't know, weren't aware. Pride, Pride in the in the heyday was one of the best, if not the best, organization in the world because yep. they had so many different rules. First of all, they had a lot of things that I like. They had ten minutes for the first round. Yep. I like that yep. because then you know a lot of times a guy would take a guy down with five minutes into the fight and then the round would end yep. you know and he was just starting to get and impose his part of the game yep. but in the in the the pride rules they would give him a full 10 minute first round and they allowed soccer kicks and stomps I mean it was a Knees lot more brutal face and ground. no elbows on the ground no elbows so he had less cuts I, that's it that's what I always yeah. say I'd rather have them allow knees on the ground 
mm-hmm. you know, and get away from the cuts. Yeah. yeah, we know. How many knockouts did you see with an elbow, right? Five? Yeah. <laughs> If that? Yeah. Ever? Well, it's a good weapon. I mean, like John Jones, when he used it on Brandon Vera, I mean, he broke his orbital bone. Oh, yeah. No, but that, but that's then one of the five. Mm, yeah. Name the other four. Yeah. You see? Not There's, that many. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. But a lot of fights get stopped by cuts. And a lot of guys... And I hate that. Up, because on the on the street, you wouldn't stop if you get yeah. cut. You keep yeah. on fighting, you know? It's not a real win. I'm going to discard guys who made careers out of it, you know? But rubbing still, it's such an effective weapon. I feel like you can't take it away either because it's so it's so good. It's a good technique. You know? But, okay, maybe what they should do... Is If, yeah, but again, could then, they el- pad the elbow? Yeah, so something around it that at least it doesn't cut. I'm totally for it if you knock him out, mm-hmm. man. I'm the biggest guy, but not like laying on somebody and literally do Little this. Cuts. They don't even load him up. Right, right. You just rub him, rub him, rub him, right. and then they get cut and they win the fight. Yeah, I won the fight. No, you didn't win the fight. Right. Like for me, you didn't win that fight. Do you think they could solve that with a neoprene sleeve on the, the elbow, maybe? Would the that problem solve it? is, you know, it's like these crazy muy thai things that they have around, you know, that always starts moving and around. Yeah. It's going to be annoying. People got to, you know, yeah, maybe, sh- maybe surgically they have to <laughs> implant one. <laughs> surgically implant a pad over your elbow. Man, it's hot so, here or not? Yeah, it's you. You're, yeah. you're all fired up. Yeah. This is awesome. <laughs> I like this. So you've done, you did two fights in the UFC after you won the title with Randleman. What made you What made you stop? Uh, pain, 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 pain. pain. That that now. neck injury. I brought it all the way to the Randleman fight, um, and it was still not gone. It was hurting. I couldn't sleep. I wasn't sleeping pills for such a long time because of the pain. There was always pain, pain in my neck. And then I said, you know what, I'm going to... So I tore biceps, like throwing a left hook in the air, pack. I go, oh, what, oh my God, what's going on now? You know, I start breaking down, breaking down. And then I started, uh, I didn't do anything. Then I started training, like three years after that, I started training and it, and it went, started going good. And the ground started going good and, you know, okay, everything feels good. And then I stopped. And then like two years later... Two and a half years later, they, they, that's when they called me for the WFA, if I was interested. They offered me a lot of money. And uh, and apparently what happened, this was funny also, because they, Kimo Leopoldo, to him, they said, he says, who do you want to fight? And I said, Hickson. That was the first I said, Hickson. Right. They said, we don't have the money for that. It's never going to happen. <laughs> I said, okay. Then, uh, Hickson's crazy, right? He wants yeah. millions and millions. Yeah, of that was at the fight. time, you know, and I was just <laughs> wanting to see what you can do against him. Right. right? And um, so they... Um, By the way, that would have been another awesome fight. That would have been an awesome fight, Holy man. Holy shit. Yeah. You against Vandalay or you against oh, Hickson. Yeah, Holy that would have been shit. Great. Yeah, Woo. that's a shame. Anyway, then uh, I said, uh, I, I don't know. You know, I, I don't... So you anything. fought Villarreal. So, no, no, no. They so said Kimo Leopoldo. tested positive for steroids. Right? Yeah, but when, when they said Kimo Leopoldo, I said, are you sure? I said, man, I just hang out with him in Japan. When he fought in Japan, it's kind of weird. I said, no, 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 he actually wants to fight you. I said, oh, cool. So then when we had a photo shoot, I go to the photo shoot, and he's there, and he's acting all weird, like giving me a hand, but like well, shying away. And I go like, uh, wow, he's taking his, uh, this fight very serious, right? I mean, what's going on? Oh, yeah, we told him that uh, you specifically asked for him. I said, why would you do that? You know, <laughs> that's not true. And then I I thought, you know what, am I going to tell him? But then I thought, no, I'm not going to tell him. Because if I tell him, um, you know, then maybe he's not going to train as hard. I wanted to have a tough fight, you know, so I thought he's angry, he's going to train harder, it's going to be an awesome fight. And then I thought, that was my, my crazy mind, I say, on the day of the fight, I would deliver a letter to him in the, in the dressing room saying exactly what I just said. So he would read, 
like I uh, I knew this already, but I didn't want to tell you because I wanted you to be 100% before you fight me and, and uh, full of stamina because you're going to need it. And that would, I think that would be totally backfiring right away just before you fight. So that was the setup to, to play. And then, yeah, he got tested positive. So, that so was then uh, Ruben had to take his place. Ruben took his place. No, we, there were a lot of guys. Tank Abbott didn't want to do it. And then there's a lot of bunch of guys they went over. Because I said anybody, they came, they came up with that. Because I didn't So Ruben anybody. was just the only one who was the, willing to take the fight. Yeah. Now, when you were over there in Japan and you were, were there for all those great fights like Noguera versus uh, Noguera versus Krokop and Noguera versus Fedor, and what was that like sitting there ringside? I mean, did you want to just fucking jump in there sometimes? Oh, you get crazy. You get crazy. You get... You, you were over there for some the, of the greatest fights ever. 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 And nobody gets to take that away from mm. you. That's what they said with my fights also. I won two fights, the first two fights at Bankers, and one guy in Holland says, he says, boss... Everybody was saying, oh, he's going to lose, he's going to lose, he's going to lose. You know, like a very negative public uh, country. And uh, one guy says, boss, whatever happens, they never take this away from you anymore. So lock this up. They got, you got this, you know. And, uh, and that's with, with those fights also. That's something that you carry on with the rest of your life. They were great moments. And to interview those guys, you know, to reenact with them and do crazy stuff. And then uh, when I quarter start doing these crazy openings, you know, these Yeah, funny those were fun, plans. man. I liked fun. those. Now, yeah. who, did, who didn't like those? Because they, they pulled those That was that out. Jerry Millen came Oh, that guy. Yeah. You know, he, he was suddenly everything needed to be the same as boxing. And I go, what? why? Is it going to be yeah. the same as everybody else? You know, let, let it... Let it be like. We How many say, fights did you do over there in Pride? How many uh, cards? Oh God, I don't know. I mean, but when they started Bushido, also, I was there twelve times a month, a year, wow. every month. I was like five, six. I yeah, I have no clue. But so during lot. during the heyday, it must have been completely insane. I mean, I heard stories about guys getting paid with stacks of money. Stacks of money it was crazy. All crisp, all numbers, exactly in a row. I mean, if they. If they would walk in there with guns, but yeah, then again, <laughs> you don't want to do that, I guess. Yeah. There's a lot of money there. Japan is is run by the Yakuza, right? That's yeah. the whole deal with Pride and all these organizations. They're yeah. basically, and that's accepted. That's a part of Japanese culture, right? Is that just how it works? No, 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 no. It's, uh, it's not accepted because when, when it came out, then it was over, right? Then, uh, because right. then the TV said, no, we don't want to be associated with it. And they pulled the money out, or was it... Was uh, that just because it was made public? But uh, it yeah. was already known, right? I think it People. was made public. I got to forget this. It was uh, a pass from Joe Rogan for a buddy of mine. Oh, yeah, I gave my UFC pass for yeah, a buddy. Yeah, that's cool. Is that your phone that keeps going off? I have it? no clue. Let me see. <laughs> oh, my battery's still low for use. Okay, good. I'll turn it out. So when you were over there, though, when you were watching all these classic fights, I mean, you, like I said, you'd been there for, I mean, you were there for Shogun Mark Coleman, you were there for Shogun versus Rampage, Rampage versus Arona, I mean, some of the greatest fights of all time. Rampage, the things that we did with Rampage, how, you know, I remember my first, uh, when he fought um, Sakuraba and he lost that fight, I took him to the side, I say, listen, you got it, man. You got this thing. They love you. I said, make sure this doesn't happen anymore because they actually had to get him out of jail to get that fight. There was a whole stress thing going on because he, 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 had, he had a warrant out of him or something and he was at the airport 
and they they got him and they put him in jail. Really? Yeah, but then the pride people started talking. They got him out. They made pictures of it. He's standing in front of the jail. It was on the cover of the, all the newspapers. Was he's standing there with his big chain, you know? And uh, that was that was Quinton. He came in. Now the the pride. What was going on back then at that time was pride was a mainstream Japanese sensation. It was huge in mainstream Japan, right? It wasn't like mixed martial arts in America back then was not nearly as successful as it is today. Oh, you, a small show was 43,000 people. God damn. Yeah, and they would sell out all the time. The But biggest show, 91 and a half. Tokyo Dome, 55, 60,000. I mean, it was crazy. And you would go out on the street and you would get mobbed. It was oh, like man, everywhere, success. everybody, yeah. So what happened? What happened over there? Because it stopped being like that. It stopped being like because of that. I, 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 because I, of the Yakuza. Yeah, when, when, when the TV pulled everything out, it was over. That's when everything went down to drain. But it was so successful. So many people liked it. I couldn't imagine that yeah. someone else wouldn't come along. No, 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 no. I think the main reason of this is Sakuraba started to lose. Oh. You, like, an organization in Japan, in order to be successful, Has they need a, Japanese star. a star. And and where you're gonna find good luck to find another Sakuraba who beat four Gracies, not unbelievable fighter, yeah. you know. But it is K1 never got big in America. Why they don't have an American champion? Right. They have an American champion in America, K1, but that that guy doesn't do good in the at the final tournament. Right. So, but once an American guy is gonna win in Japan, you watch then. K1 becomes very interesting for the people. And it's logic, you know, you want to root for your own guy. That's funny, though, because, you know, I mean, Horse Gracie, when he won in America, he was a hugely popular guy, and he's from Brazil. Yeah. I think if they had K1 over in America, I just think people, you know, Dana White and I had a conversation about this when he was talking about how kickboxing has a negative stigma in America because of PKA karate. Yeah, yeah. The old, boring kickboxing that they yeah. used to have on ESPN. Eight kicks above the waist or something. Yeah, like yeah, eight, yeah. Otherwise... Well, you, you couldn't even kick low. Yeah. You couldn't kick low at all. Very few of the... I mean, they would occasionally, they would show you a low kick fight, you know, yeah. they would allow, like, special rules or yeah, something. special rule Dutch rules yeah but for the most part it was like they would wear those big stupid slippers on their feet yeah they, they wouldn't really kick it wasn't exciting it wasn't yeah. nearly as exciting as boxing or Muay Thai but the K1 now like if you watch the Grand Prix now that's bizarre so it's so the best exciting. show ever so exciting best show and Max as well you know the K1 Max uh, the lightweight guys man Giorgio uh, Petrosian I mean shit unbelievable guy, right tell me that guy couldn't be a star in America or uh, um, you know Alistair especially I mean. yeah but the, the, the thing is um, in the beginning it will work but eventually people want to see an American, American champion. champion well I think maybe sure. if it was really big and successful over here you would have you know some Americans that would do well but they would have to they would have to know that that's a legitimate avenue for a profession you know guys oh, like Pat Barry you know guys who are real serious fucking strikers you know you just there's not that many of them you know there's not no there's really not and you and, know. and you know the in America, it's just there's no venue. They have to go out, out of the country to get, like, real high-level It's very hard. It's very Murray Smith would say, you know, he was at the top of the pyramid at the time, yeah. and he didn't make it over there. So then, you know, they go, like, okay, because well, who was going to beat Murray Smith in America? Nobody. <laughs> yeah, right? right. I mean, yeah. Maurice, uh, that was a, he was another interesting guy when he first came to the UFC. Uh, I was there for uh, his debut. I was there when he fought Mark Coleman. Nobody gave him a chance. You know, everybody thought Maurice is going to get killed. Yeah. And I remember backstage, he's so relaxed. Yeah. He was hanging out and goofing around and laughing. I'm like, does this guy know he's going to go get fucking pounded, yeah. by the biggest guy in the game? You know, yeah. Mark Coleman was a fucking Monster. destroyer back yep. then. 
But Maurice just, it was the first guy to have like that real high level cardio. You know, it was the first guy that just not get tired. He knew t Mark was going to get tired. Yep. And I just, fought him. I fought him twice. Maurice, Maurice. in yeah. Pancreas, right? You Pancreas. submitted him, didn't you? Yeah, twice. Yeah. It was fun. You know, the, the best one was the first time I'm standing here and he makes kick. I go, punch, punch him. And it go, he goes, whoa, fast. And right away, I give him a high kick. Poof. And it like, it's on his defense. Clive, very close. So I think, oh, cool. I make another one. And right away, I make a switch kick. And I kick and I slip and I fall on the ground. And he wants to jump on top of me. And I go, wait. He stops. And I get up and I go, thanks. <laughs> so when you said <laughs> wait, he, yeah, he just he listened to you? Yeah, you got to see that fight. You got to laugh. <laughs> it's the funniest thing. Hey, it's legal, right? That's so, hilarious. Yeah, that was hilarious. That was funny. And then he tried to take my back. This was the coolest. I did a knee bar, upside down knee bar. I'm on my head, feet up, knee barring him. I'm standing against the ropes and he's trying to get my back. So you and just dove down on a knee bar. That's it. I go like, okay, get my back. So right away when he did, I dove in, but he grabs the ropes. Uh, so I'm standing upside down on the top of my head and I have the knee bar. And he's, he's tapping on the ropes. The rope escaping. Wow. Yeah, that was wild. Man, you were really there for some crazy times. What is it like now going from like your your very beginnings where there was no mixed martial arts, where you yeah. went over there, you literally had no idea what it was like to seeing what it's like now, you know, with like Cain Velasquez and all these guys, you know, John uh, it's Jones. Unbelievable. You have to understand that when I came from Thai boxing, right, you, you get weight classes. It's like in boxing. So I came to Japan and, and the first thing I see is my opponent is 245 pounds and I'm 195. So I go like, okay, but I didn't want to show anything, of course, because, okay, this is what it is, right? You got to fight. So I go, okay, cool, 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 cool. I said, how many rounds? They say, one round. I said, awesome. How many minutes? 30. I say, awesome. But I didn't think inside, awesome. I go, 30 minutes. I'm going to fight 30 minutes. You know, that's why I put those R's on my hand. I had to stay relaxed because I'm such a hothead. Oh, that's what the R stood for? Yeah, relaxed. relaxed. Yeah, in Holland, it's rustig. starts with an R also. So what's coincidentally is the same. I thought same it was for rooting. No, 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 no. For rustig, stay wow, calm. Cool. Every wow. time when, when I get hit, you hear my corner. You listen to the fights. You go, stay calm, stay calm, stay calm, because they know I want to. That's, that's why in Holland, we're all first round knockouts. I would come out very technical. Pa, boom. Tak, 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 boom. As soon as you get hit, you get crazy. Oh, I get crazy. So I figure, I said, man, if I'm going to fight a guy like Rocky Marciano, you know, who can take a lot of punishment, but then come back and I got 28 more minutes to go. Whoa, we're going to shoot load. I don't want to have that. So I put the two R's on my hand and then, and they would sound, they never shout in a, an instruction. The only instruction they shout is like when I'm in a guard, I would tell them, right? This is my easiest guard escape on the planet. Imagine the guard is here and his left foot is on top, right? Right. I would look at my corner and it would show, uh, it would go right and I would swing back and underhook it and grab it. They would be the eyes for me. And I till this day, I don't get it that nobody does this. It's the simplest thing on the planet. That, to yeah. know which foot is on top. On top, so you get a lot. you could push up. Yeah. Because it's not being held down. So you down just by look at him and they go right and then you relax and then whoop, whoop, pick it up. Oh, that's hilarious. Do you do that for your guys as well? Oh yeah, yeah. I did that also. Yeah, yeah. You got to be careful. You don't get caught in a triangle, though. No. No, you got to. You know, you know that, right? Right. Yeah. You this is not like explode. while he's pulling on your arm. Right? <laughs> Let's try it now. No, how, no. How, time and place. How crazy is it watching the, <clears throat> the evolution of the game? 
has, I mean, we literally in America, there has never been a sport like mixed martial arts that has exploded and changed and grown right before our eyes. I mean, yep. I mean, some sports got famous, like skateboarding and, you know, BMX riding. I mean, some stuff that wasn't a viable way to make a living when I was a kid became one. Mm-hmm. But nothing like mixed martial arts, where it was just constantly in the public eye in movies and jammed down your throat on television. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty fucking strange, isn't it? It's I, I, I predicted it right away after my first fight. They did an interview with me, and I said, this is like a rollerball, that movie. This people mm-hmm. gonna need like an outlet, you know, and this is it. This is gonna be very big. I say you watch it four years from now. Oh no, yeah, I said that four years from now this will be the biggest thing, and it was like seven years later or something. I was like way off in time, but eventually it got there. I I go like what is what is better than this? I knew at that time already that everybody likes to be to know who's the toughest guy on the planet, and this is literally being the toughest guy. I was on Inside MMA last week, and I was ashamed about a comment that I made against Frank. Because we, we had a comment uh, that one guy says, oh, uh, MMA is just like two guys rubbing against each other on the floor. And then I told him the story that I, I, I was fighting Frank and that I, I stood up and I said to Frank, come up. He says, no, no, you come down. I said, no, come up, fight like a man. You know, and I go, I'm, I'm, I'm eating those words right now because when I broke that guy's shin bone, because I had no clue how much power that was yeah. on that joint, you know, that really started making me think. And I go, you have to understand it. The ground guy can break whatever he wants in your body. You got so much dominant power. If I roll with guys, my students, they rather stand with me than the ground. Because on the ground, they say, you always, you're there. <laughs> Standing, they can move around, you know? Right. And they get the hell out of there. He says, but it's way harder on the ground. So I go like, wow, listen, I, I can dislocate, break, snap. I can do whatever I want. If I say, okay, your right arm is going to go, your right arm is going to go to any guy on the street. You know, I mean, talking about power compared to knocking somebody out. You know, I can put you to sleep and I can do some crazy things with you. It's a very <laughs> strange thing, the, the jiu-jitsu that just came, it just came out of nowhere. I mean, when I was a kid, it was all about striking. There was no, no one ever took judo. Yeah. Or, I wrestled in high school, but, you know, I just did it as a sport. <clears throat> You know, and it, you know, I got bored with it quick because it just didn't seem like there's anything going on. You yeah. held the guy down, but it wasn't submitting submitting yeah. him. And once jujitsu came along, man, it's amazing how much it's evolved. You look at like MMA. You look at the jujitsu that was in MMA in '93, and look at the jujitsu you see now with like Jacare, oh, you know, Damian Maya. You know, it's fucking so many levels above it. The thing is, what I always say, I said all the moves are pretty much invented, right? But it's the the setups. They've, they've found such a creative ways to go to a particular move. That is the cool part about mixed martial arts style. If you have that setup that nobody noticed yet, you see how many times you see, you remember the first time the Anaconda got uh, introduced in uh, Pride? Mm-hmm. You know, the guy from the Garrus camp? They said, we call this Anaconda. That was no Garrus mm-hmm. told me. Yeah. Because nobody saw the freaking thing before. Boom, everybody started landing Anaconda. Yeah. You know, Dars joke, same thing. Boom, suddenly yeah. there's the Dars, you know? Oh, you can mm-hmm. do it on the other, instead of the armpit, you go to the... You see, so people start playing with that and they, they create these different ways. Like Dean Lister against uh, uh, S- S- uh, what is the, Ale- the Italian guy? S- uh, Alessio Sakari. Sakari. The way he said that triangle choke up. I mean, wow, that was so cool. It was mm. so sneaky, slowly but surely, and then bloop. You know, you go yeah. like, Lister's, that is cool. Lister's a master. It's He's unbelievable, right? Guy. Yeah, I mean, Lister, if, if G- Dean Lister was around the early UFCs, nobody had jiu-jitsu like him yep. in 93. You know, even Hoist Gracie didn't. His jiu-jitsu was very basic. It wasn't nothing like, you know, the jiu-jitsu that you see today. You know, there's there's a few guys that they say when they compare jiu-jitsu, they say, you know, like Hickson is a perfect example. 
people today, even high-level black belts that roll with him, just say, that guy is on another level. There's just a few guys that are just, you know, Laborio, Ricardo Laborio is another one they say about that. He's just yep. on another level. Just There's just a, such a high level of jiu-jitsu. But overall, the level of jiu-jitsu from the new guys, like the Marcelo Garcias, you know, the, these new guys coming along, it's fucking, it's, just, it's so high level. It's so much more advanced than it was just 10, 15 years ago, you know? You know what the cool thing is with Laborio? You saw me rolling with Joe Manson in, uh, in China. And he was watching there, and then he was show, started showing me things, and I said what he could do with those particular leg locks and how he could do this and make it that stronger. And, and he was sitting looking at me, and he was like, oh, I said, oh, you thought I was a striker, right? And he goes, I didn't know. And, he, and then it's finished that he, he wanted me to come to American Top Team to teach a ground fighting seminar. Oh, that's I said, fine. That is cool stuff. Well, it's good right? to have a fresh perspective, you know? I mean, you, you never know. Everybody has their own way of doing things. That's if it. you haven't seen it before. That's it. You know, there's so many different techniques. What people don't understand that don't do jiu-jitsu, there's so many different techniques that it's are available. It's like, a, a, it's like chess if you had a million pieces, you know? There's, yeah. there's so many different submissions and so many different transitions and chains of submissions and new techniques and new counters. And Yeah, but I, I believe in, in it's good to know them all, but I mean, but for every fight you have to say, okay, I'm going to use these particular moves for that yes. guy. I don't go crazy on this dude yeah. because, you know, and, and then have those different setups. That is the mm -hmm. key, man. Yeah. I would and set up one to four and go from one to four to two to back to one to boom, caught. Well, there's some you know? guys like Jake Shields who, Jake Shields is very basic. He doesn't do a lot of different techniques, rear naked choke, arm bar, guillotine choke, but he just fucking gets them. Yeah, you know? and, and he knows it. Yeah, his path to yep. those techniques is so sharp. Yep. What do you think? So, what do you think about guys today? Like when you look at these guys today, and you know, do you you ever wish like, man, I was? Did you ever say like, I came along too late? Like, what? Why? Yeah. Why didn't I come? On 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 one side, yeah, but you know, I always go with the glasses uh, half full with me. You know, I I I'm in a great position right now, man. I mean, I got a movie coming up, but a big part for this, uh, you know, the Kevin James comedy. You know, I got the TV show. My wife predicted that one also, by the way. What TV when show I was, is it, though? The Inside MMA? Inside MMA. I mean, yeah. I mean this is like, oh, we go, this is our fourth year. It's crazy. It's nice. You know? And my wife, when she, she predicted that I was going to be a fighter in Japan, and I said, no, because I'm not going to fight, she said, yeah, in Holland, you're going to go to Japan in March. Six months later, I'm in Japan. Then two years into that, she looks at me weird again. I said, now what? She says, we're going to go to America. You're going to be in TV business. Swear to God. How did you ever get the, uh, a part of the Grand Theft Auto? Like, the men's room was probably one of the funniest oh, the things best, ever. Right? Are you going to ever do another one? No, or? Yeah. What is it? I haven't seen it. What oh, it? go on YouTube. He has a show. Yeah, he has in a Grand show inside the Grand Theft Auto. I would just sit there to watch his show is inside the video YouTube? game. Is it on YouTube? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cue it up. Cue it up. Yeah, yeah Boss Wooden GTA 4. That was say These guys from bar fighting, they saw it. And what they did, they gave me a script. I said, can I tweak this thing? And they said, sure. So I would start building sentences. And in the middle of the sentence, I would stop and then restart it. So it looks like I'm a total freaking psycho when I'm talking. It's like really weird because it doesn't work. And and the, the result, when you see the result, is one of my finer work, man. Yeah. I had to send people out there. I say, you can, because they were cracking up so hard. Out of, out of all the guys who have fought, though, you're the very best, in my opinion, at transitioning into a career outside of fighting. And you do inside MMA. You do commentary. You're, you're always doing so. By the way, you and uh, Michael Schiavello, when you did the commentary for Strike Force for the undercard, was the fucking best part of the night. <laughs> I loved <laughs> thanks, it. I loved thanks. it. You guys need to do it together. I 
love Chiavello. I think yep. he's fucking hilarious. You guys together were awesome. Somebody really needs to scoop you up and have you guys do uh, more commentary. Yeah, you know, I, I, I loved doing it, but this right now, you know, this is one of those things that I thought I would never say, but I'm so busy. Right. I don't have the time for it anymore. But anytime I have a chance, like for instance, now I go to Brussels, you know, and then I do this just like three days before I have to go to Boston to shoot. They say, why do you do it? You don't need to do it. I say, yeah, but I enjoy it. I enjoy it so much to go there. And there I'm also the ring announcer. And they let me free. I can slap the girls. I do, you know, I do fun stuff, you know. What is Brussels? Around. Is it a mixed martial arts? Fight? Mixed martial arts and a K1 tournament. You know, both at the same time. Uh, oh, Saki is fighting. I've seen... They had one before, right? Yeah, also one Inside MMA. Yes, showing. yeah. Inside MMA, by the way, if you don't have HDNet, you're missing out. HDNet is the best for watching fights. There's yeah. always... K1, K1 Max, they have a hundred different, you know, MFCs on, a hundred different mixed martial arts organizations, yep. fights from Japan, fights from Europe. It's really incredible. It's weird. And, and that's where Inside MMA, your show's on as well. I, I, I love it. And, and the thing I love about it is I see my old buddies again, whether they're still fighting or they're now co coaches from guys. And then I see the new talent coming up. You know, and, and we all have him on the show, you know. We, who would have thought you're going to get a Bozzy Award? You know, like <laughs> you, you can win a Bozzy if you have the greatest knockout of the year or something. How cool is that, you know? It's, we really want to start doing that thing, I think, in the front of a live audience. That would be cool to do also. But it's really getting there. We, we never thought it was going to go like that, you know. And it just exploded from the half-hour show. We went right away to an hour. And now commercials are there. So that means we're doing a good thing with the hottest show on HDNet. Yeah, it's on MMA. is great. It's a really, really fun show to watch. Now, what about guys that you know that you started out with that have taken a lot of damage? You know, I mean, you didn't take damage. You took damage to your body like you have tendonitis, but you have no problem with your thinking. No. You know, but what is it like when you see guys that do? Because it disturbs the shit out of me. Really, it's, it's really sad. The way I know a few guys that, you know, start lisping, and, and it's scary stuff. You know, mm. the, the, like Arlovsky fight now. Mm. You know, Andre. Yeah. You know, I love this guy. He's a really nice guy. Somebody, I know he wants to fight, and he already wants to prepare for the next fight. I think somebody should say, you know what? Let's not do it. What do you think but, about Greg Jackson saying that he's going to get right back in there, they're just going to fix it, and he did, did some things wrong, but he's not done, and he's going to come back. It'll be even sweeter than ever. And I'm listening to him talking. I'm like, motherfucker, do you know that this guy's no. been knocked unconscious you can, four times you, in a row? You can you can kill everything for the rest. Yeah. You know? I mean, maybe he's, he's not going to be a teacher anymore. Nothing but mixed martial arts. That, that's the, the, the bad thing also is, like, your legacy is going down. When are you mm -hmm. going to be a coach? You're going to go to a gym to train with a guy who lost his last seven fights. Imagine you're a guy like that. Right. Four you know, by knockout in yeah, a row. Uh, that, I'm not, uh, there was not Arlovsky yeah. I'm doing, but, but Arlovsky right saying. now. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, they should, what, what I said, what, what they should do, should tell him, okay, you know what you're going to, you're not going to fight for a year. And in between, we're going to do some grappling tournaments to keep the competition on there and you're busy. And it doesn't matter if you win all those. Who cares about that? Just be busy with competition so you, you perform under pressure. Mm -hmm. And then if everything feels good, you know, then maybe try it one more time. But then really say, okay, if this is going to go the wrong way, you really got to stop. Well, like, he uh, took Ken about Shamrock. a year off from the yeah. Brett Rogers fight, didn't he? Yeah, but uh, in my book, if I was my student, I, it was no. Yeah. I would say no, this is He's it. been shut off too many times, Yeah, right? because I don't want to be that nail in the coffin that's going to say, God knows what happens. But what about a guy like Alistar that got stopped a bunch of times? Yeah. I mean, Alistar got stopped, like, I think, nine times in his career. Bobby Hoffman knocked him out. Chuck yeah. Liddell knocked him out. So many guys stopped him. Yeah. And then look at him now. I mean, he's the greatest comeback ever. I know, but you, you, um, you see this fighting style, how he fights. He doesn't throw. I was, I was looking at so let it go. Make three, four shots, pop, pop, pop. He doesn't do that. Mm -hmm. Everything is single shots. His defense is perfect. Boom, 
boom, boom, every, watch, mm -hmm. you know, there's no three right uppercut left hook, he's very good, and very he knows, you know, yeah, of course. Tries not to get hit. Tries not to get hit, and, 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 and it's going to be hard for people to hit him, mm. it's so much power, yeah. you know, I mean, look at, look at, the striking is bizarre. The guy is so strong. His takedown defense is getting really good. He's a great submission. His ground control is really good. And no one and has Stamina. ever been like Alistair that won the K1 Grand Prix and is a, a mixed martial arts champion. Yep. Dream, Dream and Strike and Force. And Strike Force. Three belts. Pretty fucking crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool stuff. That's a guy, you know, this is cool. He trained in the early days. He trained with Chris Dolman when I was training there. He and his brother, Valentine, and I would submit him. And then they would, they, they, they're very competitive. And then if I wouldn't come over there, they suddenly would call and they say, oh, we're at your gym. We want to train now because now we're going to get you. I said, okay. And then uh, it went again. And they say, how is that possible? I said, because I'm training too, Alistair. <laughs> you know, but I always said, that's the guy. Those are the guys because they, they keep on coming, keep yeah. on coming and want more and travel for it. He mm. wants it. And the guy who really wants it, it really is like that. It's like the book I always say, The Alchemist. You know, you, if you set your goal, you say, that's where I want to go. Whatever you do, you don't get off the path, you know, you are going to get it. I truly believe there's, there's something up there that helps you for that. You know, go, go. Relentless. Don't walk over people, though, in order to get there. You Unless know? you're Andre Arlovsky and you've been knocked <clears throat> out four times in a row. Yeah, yeah that's true. There's a certain point in time where physically you have to stop and look at it and go, all right, what are we going to do here? Yeah, that's true. The, I don't know how you say this. I think how that do you, How do you tell when to tell them? I think that people inside, deep down inside, the fighters know if they can become a champion or not. I think they already know that. When I was fighting and I started winning in Japan, when I got that ground game, I look at my wife, I say, I think I can be a world champion this thing. I truly believe I can beat all these guys now. You know, and then it started. You know, I think you feel that. I think that, that a fighter will actually know himself. They will keep on trying and keep on trying. But I think once you know that it's not really there, that that's not a good feeling. They right. won't say it, but it is. Right. It's like the guys who you mount, you hit, they turn on the back and they get choked. Mm -hmm. A lot of these guys, they give the choke. Speaking of that, what did you think about the Fedor fight when Fedor was fighting uh, Bigfoot? I mean, he gave up his back a couple of times. He had to. It was you think big. that's just, he was just too big? It was too big. I truly believe so. Too big with too technique. Good. Too, good, too big and the combination. Yeah. yeah. And then, and then being what 60 pounds heavier yeah. or you know that's a big difference man i always said that i wanted weight class 205 to 35 yeah i agree you know i agree right? yeah i agree it's the too big of a leap yeah those big giant guys that are cutting weight to get down to 265 that's a huge percentage they said that he was 290 the next yeah. day i said how could you gain 25 pounds? his fucking head looks like it's 290 <laughs> yeah. right that guy's big yeah he's, it's big when he got on top of fedor and mounted him you see how wide his oh. back is you like that's a giant person man. he gets stomped by a bigfoot would you see the footprint yeah. still on his back <laughs> <laughs> poor fedor man that was a that was a tough thing to watch and it's tougher even still to watch all those people that are behind him saying oh. he's gonna fight again he should fight no, no, like no, 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 the, 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 the people booing when they don't let the fight continue. I say, uh, yeah. his eyes is closed. Yeah. And he can't see anything coming from the left, you know? At all. Yeah, Unreal. it was, was going to be the same thing anyway. He's going to get taken down and smashed. That was it. That was it. Is it hard watching a guy like that? You mean you watch him enter into Very hard. pride and then see him get beat down like Very that? Very hard, yeah. That, that, that does something to you, you know? That you get emotional. I do get emotional from that. It's a crazy thing, right? But in this game, in the, the game of fighting, we're going <clears> to <throat> see it no matter what. I, I mean, I was there for Chuck Liddell's 
debut. I was there, uh, you know, for Hector Gonzalez, I think was the guy's name he fought. I forget the guy's name he fought. Uh, I, I was there for that. Noe Gonzalez, maybe? I was there for that fight, and then to get to see him, you know, all the way to the end, to the Rich Franklin fight, you know, it's like, wow. You know, seeing seeing guys, like, at the top, at their most vibrant, when they're just dominant. You know, and, 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 and with, with, with Chuck, it's a mental thing. But I always say with, with Chuck, if he has the right person who who can talk to him, that he's too hungry. Mm-hmm. Like, if he lands, if he smells the victory, he, he starts overcommitting. And, he and, and, and the, all the knockouts he had is yeah. because of that. Yeah. If he would step back, relax, mm-hmm. I mean, he was doing really good against yeah. French Franklin. This yeah. guy still can be the top guy. That's his only defect. With him, it's not that he lost his timing and lost that. It's only that he's too hungry. You know, he's been knocking out people too easy. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, that's the same you can also see with the training when, when he fought Couture. You know that when he trains, he puts everybody backwards. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly when Couture came and started pushing him backwards, mm-hmm. that was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Now what? He never was there. Right. That fight made him again way better right. after that. It made because him a better he... counter-striker. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah, he learned how to fire him off as he was moving backwards. It's One of my favorite guys still. Yeah, he was amazing. Yeah. But he also <clears throat> lost the ability to take a punch. I mean, if you go back and watch his first fights, like with... You ever watched the Pele fight? Where oh, oh no my rules? God, yeah, that was crazy. That it was a kick. WVC, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. Those, those <laughs> that was bare knuckle. Bare knuckle. Those guys with were crazy. The, the net underneath the rope so you couldn't escape. <laughs> yeah. You get stuck in there you and imagine? Chuck's on top of Pele, punched him in the face with bare knuckles. People get stabbed in the eyes at the times yeah. all the time. Dudes would grab the balls, if, remember? Yeah, what I, wanted, I was going to say. Gary Goodrich. The Pedro. The Pedro. Yeah. Yeah. Reached in his pants and crushed his dick and balls. He should have yeah. had Viagra on him. He literally sure. grabbed the guy by the cojones. Yeah, what the fuck? And it was totally, completely legal. Yeah. I mean, nobody had ever done it but Gary and vale tudo, anything yeah. goes yeah that is anything goes. were they allowed to bite though I have oh, the, you know well uh, it's almost I, I, I read the book from uh, Big John because I, I wrote the foreword for the book and uh, man that's a cool book what is you, Big John's book uh, it's wrong but uh, what, what do you think Big John McCarthy yeah no, no 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 what? what is this line Oh, let's get it on. Let's get it on. <laughs> but that's sort of Mills Lane's line. Mills Lane in boxing had that way before the UFC. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, I don't even... Fighter, you ready? Fighter, you ready? Let's get it on. Come on. Okay. Was, that was his thing. And they, like, had made some sort of an agreement where uh, John was going to use it in MMA and Mills Lane was going to use it in boxing. Okay. But I remember when, you know, there was, like, some words that people were saying, that, oh, you know, only John McCarthy can say, let's get it on, because every referee's got to figure out a thing to say. It's Martin Gay. Is the one that started it, <laughs> Marvin Gaye. Marvin Gaye. Marvin Martin. It's his Martin. Cousin. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, let's, let's get, get it on, it on. the Mills Lane thing. You've seen it all, boss. You've been there from the beginning. You know, you're uh, you're a real legend in this uh, this crazy sport. I'm, I'm a very happy person. Let me tell you that. I have a lot of pain when I walk. You know, everything hurts, but it's been worth it. <laughs> and I know that with the stem cells and everything, it will something will pop up. You know, and uh, and I'll I'll put it back. I'm not going to fight anymore. You know, I'm I'm also you know th- there's also a thing that I had when in 2006 when I made the comeback, I knew that. Like, I would roll, and everything would go really well. Don't get me wrong. But there were things that I say, I would have had that normally. And normally, right. I would have had that. I noticed that I was getting slower, you know, and th- that my reactions were not uh, there as they were before. So, you know, you got to be, you know, be very realistic to yourself. What do you think about a guy like Randy Couture, who's older than you? I mean, how old are you now? Yeah, but uh, 45, yeah, 46. Randy, Randy's fucking 40 40 years, years old, something. and he's about to fight Machida. Yeah. It's crazy. But he's got the O2 trainer. 
The Bossword Invention, the lung training device. <laughs> what is and the O2 trainer? What is you it? know what? This is a fun thing, man. I, I came up with this? this. Yeah. When I was 15 years old. Around that time, I had very bad asthma, but I also did track and field. So when I had an asthma attack, that would be like a two-week episode, which from the two weeks, I would be like five or six days in bed wow. because I couldn't eat and can breathe because you can't eat. Jesus uh, you can't Christ. Drinking like, like this. <laughs> 24 hours a day. Like yeah. Bizarre. Oh, oh, yeah. Damn. No, really bad. So I couldn't walk stairs, nothing. Everything in bed. You don't have bed. any of that anymore? Nothing? No, no, no sometimes inhaling? I do. Sometimes a little bit, yeah. But you take an inhaler and it's gone. But then after I had an attack and I would do track and field, I would realize that my lungs would f work better. And I go, why is that? And I start, oh, wait a minute. There's an infection in your lung pipe. You know, it closes the lung pipe. Your lungs have to work really hard to pull that air in. Then when the infection is gone, you know, they because they worked all the time they're used to pulling hard air comes in easy i go so why don't i come up with something that controls the air intake so i started thinking about like it's the stupidest thing man you're gonna laugh like i would hold my mouth in a certain position and try to memorize that position I just, stupid stuff so you couldn't see. get much air in yeah like and then make it every time a little smaller i go man i gotta come up with something so i tell all these my, all my buddies here in america everybody knew in holland also that i wanted to make that thing and then when Vandalay came on TV with the snorkel, ah. I think I had six or seven phone calls. They, they said, you got to do that thing that you're talking about because somebody's going to find it out. Somebody's going to come up with, the, with an idea. You know? So I started uh, looking, got a patent uh, lawyer, and what do you know, man? Nobody made it. Right, cool. I got the patent, have everything. The so world what's it called? Patent. The it's Boss Root and VO2 Trainer? The O2 Trainer. O2 That's why trainer? I was laughing because when I saw this. Ah, C2O. Yeah, O2 Trainer, and it's uh, it controls the air intake. It's a very simple thing. So imagine this week you do all your hard workouts, like and only four times also, because you don't need to do it every way because you're actually training your muscles. They're testing it in Texas right now at the university. That guy, in 12 days, he had greater lung volume. He said, man, you made something really cool. Can I put my track team on it? He's got his female track team on it. They're going to run tests on them now because he thinks also that because it's a little small biodegradable little compartment that's flexible also, so you can't get hurt. Because you rebreathe a little tiny bit of carbon monoxide, which I wanted to stay away from because I don't want people to get dizzy. He says, no, no, you carbon, don't get dizzy. Carbon dioxide? Or carbon dioxide. Yeah, one of the two. Anyway, he says he thinks it's just enough to spark uh, more red blood cell uh, production. I said, you're kidding me. He said, I don't know for sure yet. He says, but I, I, that will be the icing on the cake. Wow. So it's what does this thing look like? It's an, uh, you know, gee, I hope I still get better. Is it online? Can I find it online? Um, let me see. You go to o2trainer.com. And, and people who are watching right now, you can't buy it yet. It's on there, but you can't buy it yet. So don't hit buy. Hmm. O2trainer.com. Zero two, zero 02 or O? O2. Uh, o, the O2. Check this out. And this is uh, something that's going to be available soon? Very soon, this week. This week? Yep. What does it look like? Because it's not, it's not coming. It's up. not coming up. No. Uh, hey, you're probably getting smashed right now. You just sent. Yeah, you said it online. You almost have four thousand people in Ustream. Yeah. Right? Oh. So, yeah. Okay, <laughs> guys, everybody, you're watching. Don't buy it. You cannot buy it. Okay, it's not in. So don't hit buy. 
Come back at the end of the week. Do you, uh, you so it buy. will be something that you think is going to be make a big impact on. Guys. I think it's going to be the major impact so because you can't look at it. Describe what it looks like. Okay, it is. It, it is a, a supportable device. It's a mouthpiece like an uh, like when you dive, you know, mm -hmm. like a snorkel, right. and it comes to the front with two little things. It's like a square. And it comes to the front. Here is the air uh, a hole in, as a cap. The cap uh -huh. you can take off, and you can put screens in there, little rubber screens with all smaller holes. They go from uh -huh. 14 millimeter all the way to one millimeter. Uh -huh. So this week you train all your hard work. That's 14 millimeter. Next week you do 13. Then you do 12, and you go slowly, but gradually. You're going down, and then once you're down, you know you 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 really your lungs have to pull the air in. And it's, it's the, the voice, my wife was saying, like after three weeks of training in restaurants, she said, man, keep your voice down, you know, because your voice gets really loud. So I go, man, it's for singers, it's for people who play bow instruments, it's for, for wow. scuba divers, anybody who needs a lung. You know, wow. you should see the commercial that I made for it. We shot that thing in 15 minutes or less. And you're going to laugh your ass off. And you see that thing, you're going to go, wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, I'll definitely check it out. Yeah, you got to check it out. And if you haven't seen Boss Root and Show uh, Inside MMA, it's on HDNet. You got to check it out. Follow him on Twitter. It's Boss Rutten, M-M-A, R-U-T-T-E-N-M-M-A on Twitter. And thank you very much for coming yeah, in here, you're boss. You're welcome, we man. Really appreciate <laughs> yeah. it. And uh, yeah, uh, thank you to the to the Fleshlight for sponsoring the podcast. If you go to JoeRogan.net and input, um, click the link and input the the code name Rogan. That's the butthole version. I don't recommend you jumping right in. On that. <laughs> it's like your 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 13 millimeter. You know, you don't start off yeah. at the one millimeter. No, no, no. You don't, don't want to get used to the. You don't <laughs> want to start off at the butthole Fleshlight. Yeah. Um, but uh, thank you very much, and we'll be back next week. Uh, this weekend, I got to go to Australia for the uh, the UFC. Anything else you want to plug? Anything? Godspeed, party on, and and a little tiny screen. You know, if you're going, it's for exercises. You can literally sit here and just do it. I do it in my car right now. I go. The Boss Rutten O2, O2 trainer. trainer, Boss, you're a fucking legend. Gracias, thank you amigo. very much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it, man. It's been a blast. All right. Awesome. We'll see we'll you do it again. next week, for sure. Okie dokie. Got a lot of stories. Holla at your boy. <laughs> Man, I had to pee for so long. I'm going to do it now! Hey, go away, I'll push you in the freaking lever. Excuse me, the men's room is occupied. Yeah. And now, for your hosts, Baz Rutten and Jeremy St. Ives. Hey, good to see you. Good to see you. All right. Hey, everybody. My name is Boss Rutten. And I'm Jack. And welcome to the man's room. Yeah, where men can hang out. Okay, now, and tonight in the man's room, we're going to get personal. On this show, we're going to be discussing a lot, a lot of aspects of health, especially how to endanger the health of others with others. Did you? Not me. Now, we've got relationship advice, like how to avoid bruising the face. We're going to take some calls, advising women how to deal with their men. But that's, that's pretty easy, right? I mean, it's just the thing that you need to do is a click to the groin right there. And when your body connects with the reproductive organs of another man, let me tell you, buddy, it's pain and beauty. Also, we have a special, and we call that special, the cubicle, the copier, and stabbing a co-worker in the eye with a little pencil. Like, like this. Look at the blood, look at the blood, look at the blood. This is going to be an unbelievable show. And I'm going to be disgusted. Thank you.